Is this thing on? Okay. We have a problem here at Potterfic Weekly. See, our numbering system defies all logic because we decided to record an episode 8.5. So episode 9 is really episode 10, and episode 10 is really episode 11. So to divert further confusion, for May 12, 2007, this is episode 13 of Potterfic Weekly. Episode 12 has been canceled. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Hey, Ron. Next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch, just remember that time that you stole my chocolate cauldron and declared your love for the mirror. And welcome back to Parfic Weekly, everyone. I am Ryan, and I'm here with uh, Phil, with Jen, with Lady Chi, and we have a very special uh, guest host tonight. We have Melinda Leo with us, the author of uh, The Seventh Horcrux, as well as The Power of Emotion, Curse of the Damned. So, Melinda, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much. Hey, no problem. I hear you're having uh, a bit of a week in the uh, Harry Potter <laughs> fandom. How's everything going? Everything's going well. <laughs> it's, um, it's been a little crazy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, but it's good. Well, that's great. So we're glad you could uh, be here with us tonight. And we're very, very happy to announce that uh, we're about two or three episodes away from completely wrapping after the end. We have uh, tonight's episode. Next week, we're going to finish the fic. Uh, then we're going to do the outtakes to the fic. And then we're going to have um, an interview with Arabella and Genia, which uh, the way things are working out now, we may even have Arabella, Genia, and all of their beta writers at uh, Phoenix Rising. They might call in from there. So uh, after we're done with After the End, we're going to go right to uh, your fic, The Seventh Horcrux. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've actually never read The Seventh Horcrux, but I've read all of your other stuff, and I've loved it. So I really can't wait to get into that fic. You're going to like it. I'm going to like it? I hope you like it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to like it. I, I've, I've read – I was just telling you before the recording, I was in – a campground in the middle of Maine in the middle of nowhere and I'm surrounded you know by family and friends <laughs> around a campfire and I'm actually reading Curse of the Damned on my pocket PC so I looked very peculiar I was the only person <laughs> as far as I can tell I was the only person reading Harry Potter fan fiction from a pocket PC in that campground I may be mistaken but I think I was the only one so so we're really glad to have you here um, thanks I'm glad to be here just I, I love this fic Oh, that that was about to be my question. What do you think of After the End? <laughs> I love After the End. This was one of the early ones that I ever read of all fanfics, and it's it stayed right up there as my one of my favorites. Oh, that's great. I was actually nervous right before I asked that. That would have been awful if you're like, oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I loved it. Okay, good. Thanks. I forgot to check before we invited you. <laughs> that works out pretty well. <laughs> That would be terrible. We'd have to like stop the show. That would have been horrible. <laughs> okay. Anyone have anything to say on this point? Oh, I thought it was terrible. Okay. That's usually my job, isn't it? This no, is true. She, she, she's the critical one. Um, well, last night, Ryan, you were the one that was like, oh, the chapters we're discussing. You know, we're going to get through in 20 minutes. These are the most simple, not important chapters of the whole story, blah, blah, blah. All right. L- allow me to explain. Oh. No, me- no, no. This is actually tonight. That you're covering one of my favorite chapters. My favorite, I think. I, I have to explain just to everybody. Uh, Chi, Jen, uh, and Phil and I actually recorded this entire podcast last evening. And due to a problem on my end, um, you know, completely my fault. I take full responsibility. 
my voice actually didn't get recorded. So you have long moment of silence and Jen saying, I agree, Ryan. So she sounds like she's talking to her imaginary friend. And in the time it would have taken me to re-record everything I said, I just figured I'd have everyone back and, you know, I'd pay for, you know, the Chinese or whatever. And um, I, I needed to give... Wait, wait, wait. What's up? You, you were going to pay for the Chinese? Oh, you're actually eating Chinese food right now, aren't you? Um, Again? Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. She's actually trying to recapture the magic from last night, so she's actually eating the exact same food she had last night. But um, it's leftover. There you go. So I'm actually um, I, I needed to do something. So I'm like, maybe we can get Melinda Leo to join in, and that will you know distract everyone from the fact that I completely screwed the thing up. So Melinda, thanks. <laughs> We've been up a creek. Uh, so just <laughs> before we jump in, the joke last night was that these were very boring chapters, and we could cover them all in 20 minutes. So didn't happen, but. Which is a huge joke because they're absolutely my, there's two of my favorite chapters in here. But, you know, I say that with every chapter we cover. We this do. is my favorite chapter. Oh, no, this is my favorite chapter. This is Which true. is part of why ma- what makes this story so amazing because you feel that way. It, there's no slow moments and there's no chapters that you go, oh, well, that was just filler. They just keep getting better and just takes you somewhere new every chapter. Oh, I completely agree with that. Um yeah, that was one of the things last night. Like we, we we find that with after the end, you know, these podcasts turn out to be, you know, like we're, we're halfway through the first chapter of the four chapters you want to cover, and we've been at it for like two hours. Like it's it, it's just something that we could talk about forever. Uh, just to uh, take care of some housekeeping before we jump into chapter thirty-seven, if you hear anything in this podcast that you would like to respond to, you can send us a voicemail file to our email address of staff at potterfickweekly.com, or you can call seven eight one three five two zero six four three. That's seven eight one three five two zero six four three. There is a two-minute. Uh, limit on that voicemail number we have the interview with arabella and jenya coming up uh in a few weeks so if you have any questions any comments any feedback for arabella and jenya if you want to just get on the show and you know thank them for writing this amazing fic um by may 15th if you could just get a voicemail or a message into us or you can visit um our our forum at powerficweekly.com we have a really great group of uh, forum members it's a lot of fun there and you can ask your questions on the forum and we'll grab them and we'll uh, make sure we get answers from arabella and jenya so I think that's all I have um, for that. I just wanted to say that anyone on the forums who actually wanted to participate with us, you know, we do. I know that I wrote novels this week about the chapter discussion, and I was trying to get people to get a little bit more involved and with future fix as well, you know, because if you if you discuss the fix in the forums, we will read what you have to say and try to incorporate them into the podcast. And so the more people we can get involved in the actual fic discussions, the more fun the discussions will be. So I encourage everyone to, you know, get on the forums. Oh, not come down to, to get on the forums and and participate because I'd love to talk to you and so would everyone else here, I think. Jen bet us $10 right. that she could get through the podcast without saying, come on down. So that was her losing <laughs> right there. <laughs> Make the check payable to cash. And with that, why don't we jump into uh, chapter 37. We're going to try and refrain from singing Blue Moon at the top of it. But if, <laughs> if you all I'm listen- offended. Chi, are you offended? I'm horribly offended. Okay, I'm horribly. Guys the last line. Y- you guys are now officially the blooper reel for tonight's episode, but...
<laughs> when am I not? I'm so used to it. Jen is the blooper reel. Okay, Jen, when you're standing in your dining room table screaming, kill it, kill it, is that potpourri? You're going to end up in the blooper reel. There's no way around it. It's not my fault he sprayed potpourri on the tarantula. It was it's rain. It's not rain. Well, it looked like a potpourri can. <laughs> Jen forgets I'm recording every minute of this. All right. So let's jump into uh, chapter 37, which is Blue Moon. And just to be a good guy, would anyone like to sing it? No, we won't torture you with our beautiful singing. Thank you. That's yeah, nice. no kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah. But, Chi, it's up to you. Um, blue moon. You saw I me. saw it standing. You? Is it standing. Me or you? I don't even know. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's I you, it saw you saw me standing. Me standing. <laughs> it is you, you saw me standing. <laughs> Wait, wait, do it again, do it again. Okay. Blue Moon, Blue Moon, take three. Ready? Yep. Blue Moon. Oh, for crying out loud. I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy. Blue Moon. Forget it. I love. This is worse than Ryan's intro. Without a love of my own. You saw me standing alone. I want to. I want to go a little bit faster. One, two, three, four. Everyone counts differently. Damn it, Ryan, don't count. You saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart. Okay, how long are we going? Let's go with no. <laughs> how about no? I think that we have tortured everyone enough, and I apologize. All right. So jumping back into uh, chapter 37. And Melinda, we've been talking about this cha- these chapters for two days. So any points that you have which are new, throw in there. And you've written more than all of us combined. So we're going to stop and listen to you. So. Okay. You get preferential. I just, I, I, I ha- it's been a while since I've read this. So I'm just going to try to keep up with you. There you go. It'll come right back to you. It's kind of like riding a bike, but without the falling over part. So. Uh, jumping into chapter 37, uh, which is Blue Moon, we see a lot of the plot lines that have been uh, hinted at over the last couple chapters pay off. We see Ginny, you know, really overextending herself. We see her, uh, you know, like every other character in this fic, you know, you have Sirius who's overworked, you have Harry who's overworked, but Ginny's one of the only characters who, even though she's doing what everyone else is, she's putting everyone else before herself and she's really spreading herself thin. She's one of those people that just has people's lives in her hands. She's almost like a brain surgeon. You know, she, mm-hmm. if she makes a mistake, you know, the, the, the results are a lot more dramatic than if, you know, Harry makes a mistake or if Arthur makes a mistake. I mean, so so you really, you get to see what can happen if Ginny doesn't listen to, um, to what people are telling her. And it really is interesting to see the dynamic of Ginny as an adult versus Ginny as a child. Now I, you know, for one have really been 
sticking up for Ginny these past few chapters. I think I tried to assassinate Charlie actually a few chapters ago because he was just single-mindedly convinced that Ginny was a small child who needed protecting and to go to her room and go play with her dolls. And mm-hmm. she's really proved over these chapters just what you know an amazing person she is and you know how much she's willing to sacrifice and how mature she is. So it's interesting to see how she responds you know, in this chapter when she fails and ruins the Wolfsbane potion and nearly kills Remus because she could easily respond, you know, as an adult and Remus could treat her like an adult. But what you really see is you see Ginny essentially give up and say, okay, you're right. I'm a child. And I thought that was an interesting way to write it. Well, I think it's a, a great example of, of her maturity, not necessarily being up to the level of her ability. She, uh, kept doing these things even though Remus had been telling her for several chapters to back off to not take on so much uh, he he warned her that something was going to fall through the cracks and I think it was very interesting that what ended up falling through the cracks was the very thing that ended up hurting Remus who was the, the one person I think well I don't want to say more than anybody but she definitely didn't want to upset him or hurt him or disappoint mm-hmm. him in any way and she ended up doing all of those things and so th- this is, I think, very typical of, of somebody who is in their late teens. They, they tend to think, I can take on the world. And they get, they get a real strong head about what they're doing. But they don't necessarily uh, think it all the way through and think about the consequences of spreading themselves as thin as they do. So yeah, it's, I kind of uh, liked Ginny's reaction to it all. Because of the teenagers that, that I know, I've got nephews within that age frame and they've got the the mindset that that nothing can ever hurt them that they can you know what they can do it and even if other people that friends of theirs they see getting into trouble with stuff it's like yeah but that's not going to happen to me and i think that's kind of how Ginny was all through this i can do this i can handle it i can keep it and then when it it all fell apart she sort of panicked and well she's a teenager she acted like one for a little while but she pulled it together yeah i think it's interesting because when you look at the at the kids you you really you and, and I know she's been saying this for a while, and and, and Jen and Renault were saying this for you know a lot that they're you know seventeen, eighteen years old, but they're they're like I'm twenty six, and they they act like people my age or people older than me. I mean that they're written as much older than they actually are. So for a while, you know, we joke, you know, he can defeat Voldemort, but he can't ask a girl out on a date. Like you know, it's we kind of joke about the fact that these you know are people who are actually you know 16 17 years old 18 years old but this is exactly how you see Ginny acting you know 18 year old girls do not you know work in hospitals you know as healers and they don't you know work for the military you know curing you know you know dolphins who go and you know test nuclear weapons i mean you know you don't see those things in our world so it's kind of laughable to think of it happening in the wizarding world but i think we hold these kids to the to both the standard of a, of a young child and it is an adult so it's kind of like Ginny can't win in this situation a little bit yeah I did want to uh, ask a question uh, before we get into uh, too deep into Ginny's reaction. How did you guys feel about Peter's somewhat redemption in this chapter? Well, I, okay. I really liked it. I think what I got out of reading it was that I was so happy and sad that he, that he was allowed to be redeemed a bit at the end, that he didn't necessarily get a hero's death. you know. But at the same time, we get to see the glimpse of the the boy, the childhood friend that they all got to know so well and and that they all loved so much. Um, And it just kind of, it just, to me, it was just um, 
another example why this story is such a story of redemption. And every character in some way or another gets to be redeemed. And I liked that even the the smaller characters get their moment. And so I really appreciated it for that. Yeah, it's something that, that when I first read it, I remember thinking that it seemed kind of odd. But then the more I thought about it, I, I do have questions about the Pettigrew character from canon in that he was supposedly a Gryffindor all this time and yet has shown literally <laughs> no real Gryffindor traits throughout the entire series. And so it almost makes you wonder if the Sorting Hat uh, blew that one and uh, put him in the wrong house. But it, it was it was very interesting to see that, that moment, just that, that one moment. And it even says, I believe, in the chapter that when um, I think Remus was hearing the voice, he heard Peter's voice, and it was the voice of a Gryffindor. So it was interesting. I think, I think you're right, Jen. It was, it was by no means a full redemption, but this story gives the characters an opportunity uh, to, to redeem themselves in some way, and, and many of the characters in some way do. And I agree with you that I like the fact that it showed how they could have been friends. I know in a lot of fics, Peter tends to be almost like um, cast to the side. They, they, they told Sirius and Remus about, James and Lily would tell Sirius and Remus about things, but not Peter, leave him out or, or all that. And I've read a lot of to do that, but I don't think that that's how it could have been because it was the four of them. There has to, he had to have some redeeming qualities to have become their friend to begin with. Yeah, and right. one, one thing I see is I see Peter almost as, you know, like the mirror image of Neville, much like Harry is the mirror image of Voldemort. They're two people who started out in the same place, and they kind of walked in the same direction for a while, then they both turned, you know, back to back and walked away from each other. And mm-hmm. you see, you know... Uh, Harry and you see Voldemort, they have the same upbringing, they have the same personal circumstances and they made two drastically different decisions. You see both Peter and you see both Neville as very kind of um, social outcasts who are are weak characters within the groups that they're in and when they're both placed into very difficult circumstances, when you see, um, especially in Order of the Phoenix, when you see Neville's parents torturers, you know, escape from prison, when you see the darkness start to build and you, you see Neville, you know, faced with a decision he decides to fight and he decides to push himself and improve himself and do this for his parents and when you see you know the, um, Peter placed in the same situation you see him essentially cave in and try and save himself and I, 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 I think that's one thing that really transcends anything that Wormtail did and I'm going to try and distinguish a little bit between Wormtail and Peter Wormtail is what was created by Peter's choice to side with Voldemort and I think I think thought that was great too that you know when you know they send Wormtail back to Voldemort and he decides to stand up to him that Remus thinks you know oh my God it's Peter it's not Wormtail anymore that's Peter that's the kid I used to know that's the friend I used to know and here's one thing Peter was faced with the choice of you know giving up his friends you know or dying and he gave up his friends and he was faced with a decision where he would follow Voldemort you know until the end and he escaped to Hogwarts you know right before the final battle and he 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 never made a decision to help you know he refused to help and they you know they essentially had to you know put a memory charm on the guy to get him to even go back to Voldemort he was not going to help when all of his decisions were taken away from him when he had no chance to save himself when his death was an absolute certainty only then did he decide that he was going to do the right thing so I don't want to come out and say that this was a perfect redemption and that Peter saw the light 
and that you know everything was going to be fine. I really think that this is a situation where you know you 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 you're faced with a very weak character who only decided to do the right thing when he had no other way to save himself. Yeah, this is this is like Marcus Brutus falling on his sword. It's it's the 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 character who realizes that they're not going to get a full redemption, and so they do whatever they can in that moment. And and then that's it. Yeah, and I agree. It's it's certainly not a full redemption. It doesn't in any way make up for any of the things that uh, he's been responsible for. But it, you know, like I said, this, the the Sorting Hat is supposedly looks into your deepest soul and picks from from your your heart, picks the house that you belong in. And he was chosen to be a Gryffindor, so there had to have been something in there, and it did show through just a little bit uh, right at the end. I love the way it was written too. Does anyone else just love that? Just the way they wrote uh, the death of, of of Peter Pettigrew. I thought that was so great, and it was you know it was such a great way to to, to parallel you know Remus's you know fall to the wolf as Pettigrew fell to Voldemort, and it just showed how they you know he how he lost Peter, and within a moment Peter was gone. But then again, so was Remus because the wolf you know completely overtook him. Yeah, I thought you know. Ryan, you talked about the writing style, and I, I think this is one of those scenes that, as a as a writer, I would have to write at least two or three times, and maybe Melinda Leo will back me up on this. But you know, when you have a scene where um, you have the juxtaposition of one time period with another, as we do here, you know, where um, Ramus is transforming in one time period and he his mind is in a different place getting the flow just right sometimes takes a lot of effort takes a lot of work and yeah, yeah, um, sometimes start completely over again right exactly you know and you have to and making sure the dialogue is right and and you know especially when you're killing somebody you know when you're <laughs> you as an author have got to kill somebody it takes i mean that's one of the harder hardest things to write because if you don't give it enough um, weight, then it's 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 superfluous, it's frivolous. But if you give it too much weight, it's melodramatic and it doesn't mean anything either. So, kudos to them on a job well done. Yeah, it yeah. was yes, yes. It was Remus remembering this as he's going through, as he's transferring into the wolf out in the shack. Right? Is that how I'm remembering it? Yeah. Right. And he, he remembered in the past. How, yes. Okay. <laughs> And I liked also that uh, it, that they ex- explained that uh, the, one of the reasons that these memories were, were coming back is that when he does transform into the wolf, it sort of taps into his darkest core, and he relives the, these darkest moments uh, of his life. And that's one of the reasons that this particular memory came to the foreground because it was a, a very sad memory, a very dark memory. But it was so it was almost like written as though it was forced into his mind. At first, he didn't want to think about it, but then the closer he got to being the wolf, he tried to focus on it because it was his only sentient thought as a human being. So he decided to just embrace it and and try and, and hold on to it as, as long as he could. And it's so interesting, too, when you think of, you, you know, just the way that Arabella and Genia wrote the story with the flashbacks. You know, in this chapter, we have the flashback to, you know, the death of Pettigrew and his capture. And, you know, we get to see Ron realize that his brother's dead. And we get to see all of these little moments that we miss, you know, during the during the run of the story. Because, you know, the, the story obviously is after the end. It, you know, it started after this. And 
the, the, it's interesting because then you see it more, um, you know, coming up with Sirius when he's at Azkaban and he's, you know, falling to the Dementors. You see, you know, flashbacks at that point to the final battle. And it's so interesting because it's like the more the characters are in pain, the more they're suffering, the more they're dying, the more information we as the readers get. So it's it's weird for me because I, I think these characters are so detailed and so articulated and so layered that I want to know everything you know, this happened to them and I want more and I want more and I want more. So it's like, you know, when these things happen, I'm like, oh, good, you know, we get more. Oh, no, this is bad. You know, Sirius is becoming a wolf and, you know, Remus is, you know, or Remus is becoming a wolf and Sirius is dying. You know, this has to stop, but I don't want to stop because I want to hear more about, you know, what's happening. So it's, it's, it's just very interesting for me as, as a reader to read through it because it's like the more pain these characters I love are in, you know, the more information I get. And it's just, it's like they're bribing me. I don't, I don't know how else, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's weird. I don't know. I just I just really like how they had Remus turning into the wolf, like turning himself over into the wolf and having Peter having you know, them relive Peter's death. I love how the stories are juxtaposed on top of each other. And I just I I loved the, the that they're so similar and yet they're completely different. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I with what uh, she was saying earlier that uh, it it takes a, a very good writer to be able to to pile these memories uh on top of each other in combination with what's happening in the present and uh i think i think they did an excellent job yeah and i I think probably some of this this smoothness this almost seamless transition between uh what is going on in ramus's mind and what's actually happening in ramus's body is probably um also a testament to the really excellent beta reading and i want to point that out that you know um arabella and zenia have had a team of well-respected very, very good beta readers. And I think, you know, I don't think that they get enough credit. And I think Arabella and Zenny would tell you the same thing. But I think that, you know, when you see a story that is this smooth, that is this flawless, it's a, it's a testament to the editors and the beta readers and the people that are behind the scenes helping. Yeah, and that's a great point, Shane. And, you know, every time I talk to, you know, Jenya about this, I haven't really talked to Arabella yet much. And, you know, she always points out, you know, well, this person came up with this idea and this person came up with this idea, you know, and, and she's very, you know, forward with the fact that this was a group project and we didn't write this ourselves. And, you know, these are the people you have to thank for that. And it's kind of like a TV show. You forget that there's writers <laughs> and producers and the guy holding the light you know, in the background. And you just look at these actors who, you know, walk out of their dressing rooms and do their scenes and go back in and you think they're the, the source of the show, but it's the people who put in, you know, all the hours and the, and the proofing and the, and the revising and everything else behind the scenes. So that's a really good point too. And I, it's really interesting too, because, you know, Jenny is always pointing out, well, I wrote this part and, you know, Arabella wrote this part. Maybe you can tell the difference to me. It seems like one person wrote it. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it's flawless. It really is seamless. I can't even tell when who's writing what. So moving back a little bit to, um, to what's happening. So you have Sirius outside of the shed and he bursts into the house and he bursts up to, you know, Ginny's room and like, you know, grabs her off the floor where she's sleeping because he wants her to do something, anything. And it's kind of like when you're young and you're, you know, you have a parent, that parent can solve any problem in the world. You know, the world could be on fire. And if you go to your parent, your parent can fix it for you. And, you know, Ginny is a healer. Sirius doesn't really get what that means. He just knows she's very powerful. And if anyone can help Remus, Ginny's going to do it. And I love Sirius panicking at this point. It's like, fix it! <laughs> like, what is she supposed to do, honestly? I know. 
it kind of reminded me of like um, I Love Lucy, the one where uh, Fred and and uh, and Ricky made the rice, and it like explodes over the kitchen, and they're, like, <laughs> and they're trying to like carry it away in these little cups, like you know the size of my thumb, and you know if we just run a little bit faster, we'll solve the. Whole... It's like you know he's a werewolf, and you know the the, the potion's bad. Whoops! I mean, what the, what's she gonna do? Open the door and like and hug him? I mean, like I I think. <laughs> I think that he thinks he, she's just, she's just gonna walk down there and put her hands up in the air and you know and and cure, you know. Start unnodding things. Yeah. If you start or, or unnodding have... now, <laughs> it's a potion that takes a month to brew or something. Anyway, isn't it? How is she gonna just make another? <laughs> Grow brew more. Go brew more and like throw it at them. Well, and how are you I gonna make drink it. Well, I mean, when people panic, I just love that they show the reality of people panicking. Sirius right then is not thinking, he just knows something's wrong and she's a healer and he's not thinking much past that. Yeah. You know, and it's so sad because he desperately wants Remus to be okay and and there's just nothing they can do. And he's not even mad at this point. He's absolutely terrified at this point. yeah. Yeah, I like that they, um, because uh, Sirius is obviously a character who can lose control. And throughout most of this story, uh, you know, with, with a, a few small exceptions, he's he's maintained pretty well. And in this chapter, and then especially in a chapter we're going to talk about in a, in a little while here, uh, he he lets his emotions take over. He, he loses control. And he is, uh, you know, we see that, the, that this is a character, this is a man who can and does lose control uh, uh, quite often. Just horrible to her. I think it's, and, and we've been talking a little bit about this off the show too. Um, I just find the whole situation with Ginny and Sirius in this chapter fascinating because, Jen, I know that you started off with the opinion that, you know, Sirius was just beyond the pale and he was just so completely hurtful and so completely venomous to her. And it's so hard because if you think back to what happened first with you know the wolfsbane potion Ginny wants to make it for Sirius and I'm sorry Ginny wants to make it for Remus I always do that Ginny wants to make it for Remus and you know Sirius is 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 furious he's enraged he's a complete ass to Ginny for you know three or four chapters you know just completely completely you know in her face she's disregarding his health she you know doesn't care if he dies you know as long as she can you know make her, you know, little experiment off of him, you know, just completely misrepresents Ginny's character. And, you know, you, you really feel for Ginny during these characters because you know something's going on with her and you know she's just trying to help. And when you see, you know, she makes the Wolfsbane potion, it's the only thing on her mind. She's, you know, practically collapsing, you know, she's putting all of her energy into it. And then you never really hear that again. You know, she makes it again, and it works out fine. And then, like, you know, she's kind of like one of those people who drives on her cell phone. You know, she, she, you know, she's making the Wolfsbane potion with one hand, and, you know, she's doing laundry with the other a few chapters later. And you really get the sense that everything that Sirius accused her of before is correct. She wasn't prioritizing Sirius's health because she was prioritizing his health, the Granger's health, Harry's health, the dragons, you know, Draco. I'm sure she was, you know, trying to heal the mailman too. I mean, it's like she was trying to, you know, overextend herself so deeply that I think that everything Sirius initially said, you know, turned out to be true. And, Mm -hmm. I, I really, I really do think that you know he had valid points here. He was also a complete hypocrite, and everything he said to her, he was guilty of it. He is the biggest mm-hmm. hypocrite ever. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> kick him in the head. He, 
Oh my gosh. It makes me so mad because his little speech, I was just like, yeah, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. Who are you? Why are you suddenly like channeling an adult here? Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, look at Harry, dude. Have you been a godfather? No. He, he, here's the, here's the, I'm, you, you have me speechless by the kicking in the head. I'm a little afraid of you now. Um. Oh, no, I promise I'm not kung fuish at all. I'm just very agitated with his behavior here. Jenny, because you have a reputation in the Polarific Weekly world of going around kicking characters you're angry with. I know, I know, but, but how can I possibly... <laughs> Honestly, well, I can understand that, Jen. I know I've read a fic or two that I just wanted to throttle a character or two, too. I know, and it's so horrible because Sirius is absolutely by far my favorite character in the entire world. Like, I love him the best in the series, and I love reading fics about him. And when he acts the role of the, the hypocritical butthole, I just <laughs> seriously can't keep myself from just physically getting out of my chair and wanting to kick him. I but at the same time, I know where he's coming from, and I understand. And he says he says such really powerful things and such such important things that need to be said, but coming from someone else who actually lives by them. And, and yeah, but at the same time, the 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 character is well written in, in that I think everybody knows somebody in their life who is not a fully rational person who allows their emotions to take over, and oftentimes those people are very hypocritical because when something is happening. Uh, in their life, they don't necessarily pay attention to it, but when it's happening to them, or when they see it happening to somebody or something that they care about, all of a sudden, it become, becomes this huge, huge problem. So, uh, I think it was well written because he people who, who don't stop and fully think things through, and uh, you know, tend to do this, and it's kind of the yin and the yang of, of Remus and Sirius. You know, you've got the one character who's so calm and logical, and then the other character who's, who's kind of a wild man, and it was really shown here. And it's when you look at the character of Jenny and you look at the character of, you know, Sirius in these chapters, I think everything you, you guys just said was perfectly, was perfectly correct because, you know, think about it, you know, Sirius gets the fact that he has never been allowed to have a normal life. You know, he's in school and, you know, he's, you know, thrust into a war and then he's in jail for 13 years and then he's thrust into another war. And now he's in the hell that we've known you know, him through in this fic. So he's never really, you know, had that normal life and that chance to breathe. And, you know, he, he is it being a hypocrite. And I bet when, if this chapter was written from his perspective, he, he, he knew exactly what he was saying. And how many people do that? How many people, you know, scream at the people around them for doing things that they themselves do because they can't face the fact that they can't fix themselves. They're just going to blame everyone else who has the same problem because that's their method of healing. You know, he, he completely is neglecting Harry. He's overextending himself to the core. If you look at what he does at the end of the next chapter, you know, that pretty much just proves, you know, he he does the exact same thing that Ginny does, but he can't face himself, so he's going to yell at her. But he does get the fact that, on two levels, he gets the fact that he's wrong. And he gets the fact that he has done the exact same thing. He has betrayed Remus's trust, too. He knows what she's going through. And I love the moments where he puts his hand on the crown of her head. He, he really does, I think, understand the fact that she feels terrible and there's only so much yelling will do. And he, he can't be that angry at her. But he has 
also betrayed Remus that you know forges a connection. They both let him down, and they both know that Remus isn't going to be angry with them, and Remus isn't going to yell or scream, and that's ten times worse. And I don't think he says that to, you know maliciously, like feels bad, doesn't it? I really think he just he gets the fact that she's going to go through hell, and he's just acknowledging it because yeah, I've been there too. This is my favorite part because I think Sirius kind of articulates a what needs to be said to him and B, what needed to be said to Jenny. So I think this is one of the better um, paragraphs in the in the chapter, and it, and it goes thusly. Love you love word. to tell everyone... Thusly. Thanks. <laughs> you love to tell everyone what an adult you are, and perhaps you've done many things that no child should ever have to do, but you're no adult. Real adults know their limits. They take precautions. Real adults make priorities. They do not make serious commitments and then fail to uphold them. What good are your talents if you're going to abuse them like this? Doesn't that define serious? Yeah. Absolutely. I wonder if serious feels weird saying the word serious in the different context. (laughs) (laughs) That is so overdone. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I love how Jen's in the middle of a point and she's basically like, who likes mini golfing? Like, it's just like, (laughs) near. I am sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean for it. I, but I do wonder. Because it is done so often in fanfic, you know? That old joke. Very and yet every and time. Serious. And usually it's Remus saying, no, you're serious. Or, you know, something like that. And every time I go, ah, you know, it's a good one. But I <laughs> Do you really go like that every time someone makes that joke? Surprisingly. Um, <laughs> oh, <Jen>. Yes. <laughs> oh, um. I, okay, can I... I have a question to ask. I know that at the beginning of this chapter, Sirius has set out some raw meat for Remus to eat. Mm-hmm. And he sets it aside, and then they make they have a whole conversation about, you know, him not wanting to cook it, because if he cooked it, then, then Remus would eat it before he became the wolf, and blah, blah, blah. And then later on, when Jenny's healing him, she goes over his stomach... And she says, oh, you're sick. And he looks at her accusingly, I might add, and says, that's what happens when you don't fully ingest the raw meat before turning back to, to a human. And I thought it's so offensive for, to Jenny because for, that, for all the things that Jenny did do wrong here, that was not one of them. And I thought it very weird. Did anybody else pick that up? I didn't catch that. One thing, I guess, if I had to look back on it, is that obviously he doesn't come in from you know from the, from the shack every uh, you know every month or every full moon you know with the stomach ache. So I'd imagine that maybe the process of becoming the full wolf maybe takes less time because maybe the wolf's bane potion slows and calms the process. So maybe you know he ingested the meat and then all of a sudden he's human again and the, and the meat's still in his stomach and maybe he wouldn't have had the meat if he I, I don't know. I thought maybe the Wolfsbane potion potion had like a better metabolism or something, you know, gave you a better metabolism. I don't know. I that is something that I kind of got hung up on, and I know it's one of those small things that only I would notice, but <laughs> I but I did, and so I was like, well, okay. And I have to find I have to point this out that I am always so pleased when I find these things in stories like this because they are so few and far between. You know, and I always get tickled when I find something like this. And I'm always like, what? 
<laughs> Jen is the person, just so we all know, who, as she's reading, you know, fan fiction, she stops and she ponders, you know, right after the death of Dumbledore or whatever, she stops and ponders. I wonder where they all pee. <laughs> <laughs> is that before or after they, they wound up in J.C. Penny or... I, <laughs> oh. Okay, again, I apologize, but I was curious about the meat and, and wondered if anybody else had pondered that, but I guess not, no, I so... Actually, no, actually, I, I, did, I did notice it, and, and after reading uh, what you posted in the forum, I did reread it again, and the one thing that I was noticing, and we, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead to the next chapter here, because when, when Ginny is uh, uh, healing uh, Remus, it's obviously in, in the next chapter, but just real quickly, th- that particular scene was written from Ginny's perspective, and it says that he he makes the comment, um, at staring her right in the face, as if daring her to accept the full truth of the situation. So it could just be a reflection of Ginny's guilt at everything that's happened, and she's almost she sees him as being accusatory, where maybe he's not really being accusatory. Yeah, that's a very uh, yeah. good point. It could. I, I remember a similar scene in um, Order of the Phoenix when when they're all waiting for news about Mr. Weasley on yes. a snake attack and Harry sees the twins or something and he thinks he sees accusation in the twins' eyes or something. And, and it, it, I think that was his perspective more than what was actually really happening. So, so it could be the same kind of thing here with Ginny. is just mm-hmm. it's her guilt manifesting itself. Right, right. Right. No, that's an excellent point. That's a great point. Okay, I'm sorry for putting everybody off track. Jumping back... <laughs> How well, how well do they write Ginny absolutely breaking down? I thought it was it was fantastic, and like I've said before, and you know, I I really want to stress here, I I have no problem with with the quality of the writing. I think it's very strong. I I I do find you know the, the way it's written and the way the plot moves to be very interesting because I can tell you, look, I'm 26. If this had happened to me, if I had made a mistake and someone had been hurt, I would have said, you know what, I'm an adult. I take responsibility for it. And, you know, I'm not going to let it happen again. And here's the steps I'm going to go through. And I think it's interesting that Ginny in this case is the person who gets so furious. And, you know, we as the readers get so furious that people treat her like a child. And the minute something like this happens, she decides, I'm going to be a child. I give up my ability. You you will tell me when I may go out. You will tell me what I may do. You will tell me when I can go to bed. You will tell me, you will treat me like I'm seven. And if you want to ground me, you will. And she completely gives up, you know... you know her adulthood and also any responsibility that she has she turns it all over to remus and i think remus the way he handles it is kind of is kind of weird because on one level he forces responsibility on her you will you know you will examine me and tell me everything that has been injured you know to force her to recognize what she is responsible for but he also doesn't say to her, you're in charge of your own life. You want to be an adult, you're going to find ways to do it, and you're going to live with what you did. He says, okay, fine, I'm in charge of your life. And he takes that you know, responsibility away from her. So I thought, I thought particularly you know, Remus's tact here and the writing of Remus was very interesting, you know, in addition to just the way Jenny handles it, which I think is, is very interesting as well. I think um, in a lot of ways her... Uh turning over the control of her life back to Remus is one of the most mature things that she's done. You know, she, she recognizes the fact that she isn't controlling her life well enough and that uh, she maybe needs somebody uh, like Remus to, to guide her, to, to tell mm-hmm. her these are the things that you can do and these are the things that you really shouldn't do. Uh, so I think, I think in a lot of ways it kind of shows her maturity. That, that she, because initially, uh, like Jen was saying, 
um, yeah, she just totally breaks down. She she sobs like a child. And then, but even at the end of the sequence, um, she says, "No, I'm going to stay. I'll stay and I'll help him, no matter how long it takes. I'll, I'll give up whatever he wants me to give up." Um, and, and so, right at the end, there, right before they switch over to the next scene, we see Ginny uh, accepting what has happened, and, and like you said, Ryan, saying, "Okay, no, I'm going to deal with this. I'm, I'm not going to run and hide. I feel awful. I'm crying, but I'm going to deal with this, and I'm going to do whatever I have to to make it better." Yeah, and it's it's the way she handles it too, which I think is like so many kids. You know, she starts apologizing to Sirius, and she says, "You know, I promise I'll do this. I'll give up this. I'll give up that. I'll give up this." And even Sirius is like, "Look, you you don't have to explain this to me. Explain it to him." And you know, she right in the beginning, she's trying to make amends and trying to apologize for it, and she almost seems like a kid who got caught with her hand in the cookie jar a little bit. You know, she seems like you know everyone's been warning me. Oops, I got caught. Oops, you're right. Oops, I'll never do it again. And you're right. I I just think one of the lessons of the story is that everyone, including the reader, thought that Jenny was such an adult, and we were all wrong. If you're looking at it that way, maybe you're not necessarily missing the point. But I think it's not that she's necessarily returning to childhood. It's that. She's saying, you know... Well, she's admitting she's in over her head. And and Ginny, up to this point, she didn't ask for help with anything. And it's almost like she's going to Remus and saying, all right, I I, I need some help now to figure out... I I, I do think it's Ginny growing up a lot by doing it this way. Yeah. I I think so, too. I want to agree with Melinda. I think, you know, I think this is more grown up than saying, uh, oh, I screwed up, but... Let me set my own limits because obviously I know what those are. Yeah, I I think my and I really don't want to you know stress here that you know like I'm like I'm really not enjoying the writing. I think my only the thing I found interesting, we'll say, is that it wasn't a situation where Ginny said, "Look, I'm the adult that I've said I've been all along, and I want your advice, but I have to be the one to make the decision in the end, and I'm going to make good decisions now, and I'm going to look for advice, and you're going to have to help me, but I'm not going to you know." I'm not going to hand over all responsibility for my life because if I'm an adult, I have to suffer the consequences. She essentially does say, I will let you make decisions for me until I'm able to do so myself. And I thought that was, you know, you know, if that's the decision that she has to make, good for her for making it. It's a very difficult one to make, and maybe it is the adult decision to make, ironically. But I just thought it was intriguing. I would have expected Remus to turn it down. I really would have. I really would have expected Remus to tell her, nope, sorry, you made your bed, you will lie in it. So I, I, I just found it very intriguing, the chapter. I, I don't have any problems with it at all. I just thought it was a really interesting chapter. Okay, from here we go to Ron's office, and this is the point where I'm starting to realize, rereading through the fic, that you know things are coming to an end, and we're actually not like halfway through the fic, we're almost done with it, because Draco Malfoy has been arrested, and you know Narcissa has been thrown in jail, and she's in Culperat, and you know you have the scene with Ron and Hermione in uh, Ron's office where, and I just have to pause for a moment. A few months ago, Ron was the assistant barkeep of the Snouts Fair, and now he is the Attorney General. <laughs> just have to. And I love, and you know, Sirius, if Sirius takes the day off, Ron's in charge of the legal system. (laughs) I just think it's so funny how, like, all of the heroes of the wizarding world right now are living, you know, on the same street, and they're all, like, 18 years old. And I don't know, but if I was an adult in the wizarding world, and suddenly an 18-year-old was in charge of, like, I don't know, all the mass murderers of the world... (laughs) 
I would be a little concerned. But Sirius isn't much more than an 18-year-old anyway. Well, I know. And he and Ron are kind of interchangeable. I always, you know, as the parallels go. Oh, you're absolutely right. We were saying that in earlier chapters. You know, they're... Usually you see, like, Sirius and Harry is, like, you know, the relationship in the fic, and this one's really serious and wrong because they're so similar. But, you know, but I absolutely love it. I'm not complaining because the more and more I read about Ron, but I never see Ron as an 18-year-old. I've always seemed, seen him and Hermione in most parts in their early 20s much more mature than I think their characters actually are. You know, going back, talking about Ginny and her maturity level and is she an adult or is she a child and so forth, I think it's so interesting because we're reading a fic where 17 years old, 17 year old kids are getting married and defeating, you know, you know, like evil, you know, wizards and at this, you know, at the same time, you also have to consider, well, you know, you're a 17 year old, you have, you know, normal problems and you can't go too far and you, you, know, you might get grounded and you can't be too much of an adult, but at the same time, you can also be, you know, the head of the judicial system. Like, like they just they it's interesting what they do with people in their ages so it's like Ginny's too young to overextend herself but ron is you know running the government and i love it though because it gets it lets us show how smart ron actually is because i know we've talked about this before in a different podcast but he's so more often than not in fix just thrown aside because he's not as brave as Harry and he's not as smart as Hermione. And in this fic, he actually gets to be someone to be admired. He's a hard worker. He is a strategist and he's very good at what he does. And I love getting, I love watching him grow into the adult that, that we all know he's going to be so good at. Ron's such a hard character to write because half the time you want to strangle him and half, and you know, unless, you know, you know, I haven't read any of your stuff yet, Chi, because, you know, I'm still kind of new, but, you know, I know, like, Melinda, when you write Ron, and, and, and you know, when, you know, especially Arabelle and Jenny and some, you know, Knight Zephyr and some other, you know, authors who I think really get Ron well, he's a joy to read. Other times, I just want to literally, you know, drive him over with my car, because it's like, you know, he, he just so, he, he can be so easily spoiled, and... I think they do a great job, you know, with the character, and especially, you know, in this fic when he's trying, he he gets that he's the stubborn, you know, loudmouth guy. But for Hermione, he tries to muffle it, and you know, just seeing the conflict within the character because he could so easily be one-dimensional. They uh, do a really good job of showing that Ron has grown up. I think a lot of fic writers tend to to leave Ron stuck at that fourteen-year-old jealous of Harry stage, you know, and he is going to grow up. That everybody does. Yeah. But they, yeah. they do a very good job of showing that, yeah, Ron's growing up too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the point's not lost on Ron either. If you notice the very beginning of this portion of the chapter, he's reading the newspaper and surprised by the fact that he understands half of what's in it. You know, so the point of, of the fact that he was a barkeep a few months back and now is doing this very, very important work, it, it's not lost on him either, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the same thing with Arthur. Arthur's working in some, you know, forgotten office in the ministry, and, you know, when, when, when push comes to shove, he's in charge. And, you know, on a more humorous note, if anything happens to Ron while Sirius is suspended, I'm assuming Lawrence, you know, Arthur's butler is, you know, in charge of the judicial system, so I'm glad that nothing happens to Ron. So, uh, oh, come on, that was funny. Someone laughed. <laughs> <laughs> The, Philipp- <laughs> the Philippines has weighed in. I am funny. <laughs> oh, You're internationally funny. I am That's internationally funny. Like Thirteen <laughs> time zones love me. 
like Mike Gravel at the debate. All right. Um, I just want to point out, you know, we get the list of things that were found at Malfoy Manor, and I, I forget who said it yesterday, too, but you have to love the fact that, you know, Seamus is going around Malfoy Manor with Narcissa, and you, you find shrunken heads in buckets, and she's like, oh, no, that's my art collection. <laughs> Can you just picture Seamus going through Malfoy Manor, though? I think that would be a hoot, actually, to read that whole section. <laughs> like, are we thinking Seamus, like the Seamus that's in the movies? Because he's rather short. He blows he's everything up. Re- Yo, can I just tell you? I have to tell you, in the first movie, I didn't realize that the actor in that scene when they were in the entrance hall, I didn't realize that the actor was three steps down from everybody else. <laughs> so when you look at the promotional shot of Philosopher's Stone, I really thought they found like a three-foot-tall midget to play Seamus. And I'm like, huh? I didn't know he was Irish. Seamus? Like, I think I pronounced him, his name Seamus, and I just thought that was a weird British name. And I remember oh thinking, gosh. oh my gosh, he's Irish. I loved it. Seamus Finnegan, yeah. <laughs> You're like, is that Dutch? Yeah, I'm the one who, like, sat down and doodled, you know, the Tom Riddle, I am Lord Voldemort, just to see if the letters actually fit. <laughs> so, <laughs> just ignore me. Almost. That's okay. I remember. I remember my sister reading that scene, and uh, you know, Amanda has joined the forums now, so I tell the story about her, and everybody can laugh. I remember Amanda reading that scene. I was in the room with her, and she wrote out in like the sky, like with her mind, you know, I am Voldemort, and then she did, you know, uh, Tom Marvel Riddle, and she was like drawing lines to each of the letters, like in the sky. Oh. That's what. Yeah. Well, not in the sky, like on actual notebook paper. Yeah, I was saying, but... your sister's got amazing memory if she can do that in the air. Like... <laughs> I <laughs> needed paper. <laughs> Jen I'm writes in and complains sorry. that it doesn't work because she has the extra A or whatever. Left yes, but I took it one step further and took my name and then tried to make an I am Lord somebody out of that. But I didn't Who have any O's. It just didn't work. It was pitiful. <laughs> You're like, I am Lord Verm. So okay. then it goes to. I'm like, what were we talking about? Um, you know, the one thing I just want, I did want. I'm sorry, John. The one thing I just did want to add. Is, what do you think of the subplot with um, the makeup? And if you don't recall it, you know, they're going over and they find out that you know the, the, the Malfoys had all this you know, polyjuice potion and they had, La Rouge. And yes, they had. You know, the, they had. Well, first for the polyjuice, they had. You know, they had Hermione, and McGonagall, and Dumbledore, and, and Ron and. Ron is just gassed to think that, you know, maybe they impersonated Hermione and made the Grangers think that, you know, their own daughter was turning against them, which would have really made this fic a little bit more dramatic than I think it needed to be. I think that would have been like the, oh, come on, like, you don't need to go that far. Like, Hermione would have been so in shock. I think she literally, her heart would just stop, I think. Yeah. That would be putting Hermione too much through the ringer. Yeah, and I think they showed tremendous restraint by not having that happen. I mean, how much worse do you need it to get for these characters before we get the point? So I think that was... I, I give them credit for coming up with the idea and not using it. Just, like, to show, like, we're not that bad. But, um... Jen, 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 did you hear your idea again? Remember our conversation from last night? Did you I, hear your idea? Did I say idea? <laughs> you said idea. Play it back, Listen. You said I idea. You. I was seriously like in in mid type to Ryan. I was going. You said idea. Okay, Melinda, you're from Massachusetts, also, right? I'm from Massachusetts. I am from Massachusetts. I need you to say the word idea because I have to know if it's just me. Idea. Did she do it? No. Say this word. W a s h. Wash. Wash. 
Oh, see, they do it now because they're thinking about no, it. No. But honest to God, <laughs> you said idea. <laughs> and I yeah, think no, it's just absolutely I, hysterical. You're going to definitely, I know I drop my R's, but I don't think I add them in places that it, they don't belong. But well, I definitely <laughs> drop them. You, I'm sure it'll. <laughs> well, it's okay. As Texans drop the yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been saying y'all for the past few months. And I'm blaming Chi on that one because Chi is the yaller. So I'm definitely. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't get blamed for that one. No, you're not doing the y'all thing, but Chi has definitely got me saying y'all. So I just want to thank you so much for that. Well, okay, because y'all is two or more people, and all y'all is five or more people. <laughs> I just love that we're considering this a Kansas thing. Because <laughs> I'm the one who's the actual Southern here, and. And I use that all the time, and yet she's getting credit. I love it. Jen, I grew up in North Carolina. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. That's weird. Melinda, I just have to tell you, it's on our forum. We were talking about, uh, I mentioned snowplows, and and Jen asked me what snowplows were. And she asked if they were like like tractors. So I said, No, Jen, you're in Texas? I'm in Fort Worth, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so you don't have to have the snow plows there. Yeah, I've never, you know, I'm like, what's snow? And I honestly <laughs> thought that it was like a, I thought it was like a lawnmower. <laughs> well, I sent her a picture of a snow plow and I'm like, no, it's a blade in the front of your car. She's like, oh, do you all have them? And I said, yes, we do. <laughs> I think that's a joke, but I don't get it. <laughs> Jen's coming north for a summit this summer. We'll get together with her and we'll show her where the snow plows are kept. So, um, oh, but the question I had for you, um, Melinda and Phil and everybody is, you know, okay, they have the plot, you know, with, you know, how bad the Malfoys are. They have the plot with the, um, with, with, with the, what am I trying to say here? With the polyjuice potion. And then you find out, <laughs> I forgot the word polyjuice. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I am sorry. I am sorry. Just keep going. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm scared now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking it wasn't like this on Pottercast. I'm dying to know what she's laughing at. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. I think I know. I, I think I know. Phil, help me out here. Because I think I, I think I heard it too. What happened? Was it something I'm, you heard, Jen? Yeah. Was it I'm a so name? Sorry. It was a it's name, just, yes. Yes, it was. I heard it too. I wasn't going to say anything. What happened? I tried so desperately to stop. <laughs> Ryan, I love you. It's nothing. Phil, what happened? <laughs> you called Melinda Melinder. I did? <laughs> yeah, you did. Right after the conversation about adding ours, you called her so Melinda. It was so funny because I wrote Chi. I go, he just said Melinda just as she wrote me. Melinda, did you hear it? <laughs> yeah, and I heard it too. <laughs> I just love it. You're just like my dad. He says things like that all the time with an R. All right, Melinda, okay. your new name is Leo. <laughs> You're like Penny's baby. All right. I'm sorry. I do. I love you. And I'm sorry for, I'll, I'll go back to mute now. <laughs> I can't take so the makeup. Yes. The makeup. Okay. Here's my question. You've got the polyjuice potion. You've got all these different plot lines going about how evil, you know, the Malfoys are and everything they had in their house that was found by the ministry during the raid. What'd you think of the plot line with um, the makeup and, you know, they're, they're, they're putting chemicals in the makeup to thin out the muggle population and make, you know, muggle women infertile. I, I, 
thought it was just kind of weird um, to be in the story. It didn't seem like something that was dropped in his foreshadowing that really hit the reader and really made the reader go, oh my god, it almost came across like a public service announcement. Yeah. No, you know it yeah. didn't. It's one, the, it's, one the, it's one of the few parts of the fic that threw me out of it. Yeah. Like, you know how you'll be you'll be reading a fic and, and you know, I don't know how many people have this problem. It may just be me because I'm so uptight about certain things. But you know, I'll be reading along or whatever, and somebody will misspell somebody's name or there's a plot point that comes in from left field, and it just throws me out of the scene, and I have to spend the next five minutes concentrating on getting back in the world. And this is one of those moments because it just seemed, it came from left field. It has no bearing on the rest of the story. It was just kind of a, oh, by the way, in case you've forgotten, Death Eaters are evil kind of thing. And I don't know. I didn't, I, I thought maybe they would have been better off just leaving that plot point out, you know, like, dropping it all together. Yeah, I didn't dislike it. Um, It's, it it was, it was very interesting. Um, I think it was because Ron was going through everything that was in the boxes that uh, Seamus had brought in, and he just came across it, and I think that was just sort of used as an example of something else that the Death Eaters were, were doing, you know, just something something beyond the very obvious stuff of let's kill Harry, let's get Voldemort in power, uh, just something that was was happening that had clearly been happening for years because when, when Ron brings up the name of the, the makeup company to Hermione, she, she recognizes it and says, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that company. Um, I think it was just sort of an example of, of a way to kind of show, well, they had more than one iron in the fire. Their, their, their plans were very, very large here. It's kind of like, this, this is a, not a great uh, correlation, but um, when, when, uh, when Hitler fell and they started getting in there and they started realizing that he was involved in far more than the things that were blatantly obvious to the world. There were, there were some things that were, that were uh, behind the scenes in, in a lot of ways, but still just equally as, as awful. And I think in, in some ways this, this was just sort of designed to kind of bring that point out and say, well, there's these, th- this was a well-organized group of people and they had a lot of things they were trying to accomplish. And this was just an example of, of one. So it, it didn't necessarily pull me out of the thick. Um, I did, I found it interesting. As a matter of fact, I remember later on in the story, I remember caring enough that later on in the story, I remember thinking, I wonder if anything happened with this. And, and there is actually a mention, I believe near, near the end of the story about a follow-up. To this, to this particular point. So, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, an, it was interesting. It was an interesting way to sort of convey what the intentions of the Death Eaters really were. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I didn't dwell on it all along, but, but it's also a way of what the Death Eaters were, were doing and, and a way that it was drawing the muggle world into it a little bit because, you know, the Death Eaters, they follow Voldemort around and Voldemort's after Harry, but in the greater sense, you know, wh- what does he want? Does he want to take over the wizarding world or the whole world? So I think it, it was just an interesting little little sidetrack in there to say that, 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 yeah, he is after a bigger picture than just the Wizarding World. Which is true, too, because the more you say that, we really don't even know what canon Voldemort's after. We don't know what his end goal is. I don't think we're going to find that out until Deathly Hallows. I guess my problem with Extermination, it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, does he want to capture England? Does he want to capture Europe? Does he want to capture the world? Does he want to kill all the Muggleborns or just leave the Purebloods? I mean, we don't get a real sense of what he is actually, um, you know, how far his goals go. I mean, there was a great episode of, um, I think it was Pottercast, where they're talking about, you know, like, what, what's going to happen when he takes over the world? Is he going to be like the guy in office space worried about the TPS reports? I mean... Yeah, what, what, is, he, what is he? Aside from immortality, what's he after? What, is, yeah. what does he want? 
and I don't think, you know, you know, Super- Harry dead. Yeah. And that, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the major flaws with Voldemort. I mean, if we're going to talk about the flaws in canon for just briefly, it's that we don't know what Voldemort... Voldemort's just not a good villain. Full stop. He's not, you know, we don't really know him very well until Order of the Phoenix. You know, we get a little bit, you're going to see a little bit in, inside of Psyche and in, uh, in Chamber of Secrets. But other than that, you know, he's just kind of this boogeyman figure. And boogeymen aren't me, really all that scary. What's more scary is the guy down the street who's creepy. Like, Peter Pettigrew is more evil and more hateable in my mind than Voldemort. I have to disagree. I love you, but I have to disagree. That, <laughs> I do, that... I think Dumbledore, I mean, sorry, Dumbledore, I think Voldemort is more scary because we don't know why. He is the boogeyman. We don't know where he's coming from. And I think that figure of, like him just saying, I'm going to kill you, Harry, you know, all those things, to me, and there's no why to it. Why? That's what we're trying to figure out. That's what we don't know. And that's what's so frightening about him. He's the psycho madman, and we and with those people, there's no reason and there's no logic, and they are more frightening. At least with Umbridge and those things, they're working for a cause. You understand why they are the way they are, and you understand what they're working for. Voldemort, in my opinion, is more scary because of the unknown about him. He's a little dainty in the movies. In the movies, I'm really having trouble, you know, just the scary. I mean, he is. Like, did you see him holding the wand with, like, his two fingers? Like, yeah. He, like, he, 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 Voldemort's he, the puff. Yeah, and he kind of skips. Do you notice know, in the movie he skips when <laughs> yeah. he walks? Like, like <laughs> yeah. Well, he's insane, obviously. Yeah. And just to comment on one thing she said there, you know. In, in, he's you know, scarier in the books than in the movies, oh, He's I much think. scarier in the books. Well, he has red eyes in the books, and the red eyes are... Ooh. Though I think that Ralph, Ralph Fiennes does an excellent job in portraying him. I, to me, the end of Goblet of Fire, he was frightening. I was scared of him. I think he plays him as well as, as any actor, as any yeah. human being could yes. play him. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes. it's just a very difficult thing to, to take a character like that and to, to put a, a guy in makeup. And no matter what you do, it's not going to be what everyone envisions. So I think, all things considered, he was probably the, the best choice that I could think of if you're going to cast a human being in that role. I think the guy who played, Bar- I think the guy yeah. who played Barty Crouch in Goblet of the Fire, Barty Crouch Sr. should have played Voldemort, because I think he really just mastered that role wonderfully. So I think they should have given him more to work with. You really think that? Oh, absolutely not. I think. I think oh, I, think I was he, like, he, no. what? <laughs> he's somebody's uncle. He's somebody in the casting department's uncle. There's no way like, that guy walked in. He could be a better Dumbledore. <laughs> yes, any day, but I don't know about Voldemort. Jen, uh, yeah. you, Jen, you could be a better Dumbledore than Michael Campbell. Like, you have no idea. Can y'all imagine? That would be so great. <laughs> All right, y'all need to sit down. Oh. <laughs> Come on down. That would be a great role to rehearse for, because they just set the trophy case up, and everyone has to come up and grab Dan Radcliffe and huck him into the trophy case, and whoever hits him the hardest gets the role. I would be like, here's a cookie. Hi. <laughs> Have a biscuit, Potter. Yeah, it's like Ned Flanders is Dumbledore. Heidi ho <laughs> it, so, it would be Suki. Suki is Dumbledore. Oh, God. Jen, you are Suki. Oh, my goodness. I uh, know. Hey, Phil. Phil, do you yeah. remember last night we were talking about Harry and his attachment disorder? Yes. Do you think Voldemort probably has an attachment disorder, like an extreme yeah. attachment disorder? Yeah, it just manifested itself in a different way, I think, uh, it, rather than right. um, than, than it's, sort it's, of walling off the world. He figured, I, I hate the world. The world is a horrible place. And so the only way that I'm right. going to get the world to to be what I want it to be is to make it that way. 
And that's, that was his reaction right. to, to being outcast and not being, and not being loved and not being part of anything. Right. And if you have any doubt in your mind that Harry Potter is about nature versus nurture, I mean, you have Harry and Voldemort in direct opposition from each other, and they start from basically the same place. You know, they both start from orphanages or from being orphaned, both go to places where they don't receive any love, you know, but Harry somehow manages to become this hero figure and Voldemort turns to terror and evil and, you know, that sort of thing. And you can say, you know, well, Harry has genetics on his side or Voldemort has genetics at his side or, you know, and I, I just think that's an interesting it's an interesting way to think about it. And I was thinking about that last night as I was laying awake in bed. I was like, oh, I should have brought up Voldemort and his attachment disorder. Ah. Luckily, Ryan forgot to record half the episode so you get that <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> yes! Right. Yes. He's very much like a wizarding Ted Bundy or Charles Manson. or He's even got the mother issues. Freud would have a heyday with Voldemort, don't you think? Well, I think the fact that his name means fear of death would probably help out in that regard, but um, actually, no, that it, it, you know, for Freud, it would have to be fear of something else, but um, <laughs> someone took a sight have course. a field day with the way Voldemort caresses that wand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes! 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 Melinda, welcome to Polyfix Weekly. <laughs> I love her He's already. He's uh, he's probably uh, stuck in the phallic stage. <laughs> Did anyone right, notice in the so... movie how he's rubbing the top of his head? Okay, I'm sorry, that was over the line. Um, Jen, you were saying? I really like him rubbing his head. <laughs> I just spit my you water out. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, though. Did okay. I'll I'll get us back to the story. Did anybody else really like the the lie that Narcissa Malfoy says um, about the three heads and about them being art? Oh yeah, so the, yeah. I think <laughs> because you had personally, yeah. I thought that was hysterical. Well, I just love the fact that like you know the the way they describe Narcissa Malfoy is like they burst into her house and they just like shoot her and throw her in jail and they'll wake her up in a couple of years for a trial. I I don't know. I just. That that would that'd be great fan art right there. I don't know. Just I got this really comic <laughs> Absolutely you know, thought process when I thought of that. And I really do like it when Ron goes to visit uh, Malfoy in jail and you know, it really echoes back to the scene. Jen, I believe you remember the scene when he you know, they were fighting in the bar and, and Malfoy threw the kitchen sink at him. Remember that? <sighs> Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course I remember that because I had no idea that that was metaphorical. Yeah. You you actually <laughs> Jen actually thought she missed the line where the sink was thrown across the room. I was just like, where is the sink? I had never heard that phrase. I didn't didn't understand it. But that's why I read fan fiction, because I learn. It's lovely. Yes, it is. I mean, so you have the scene where he goes to call Parat, and I like the fact that A and Z make this a scene that isn't black and white. This isn't, you know... Ron has defeated Malfoy. You know, of course, there's there there's very you know strong you know sentiment of that in here. And you know, Malfoy is you know begging for his mother, and you know Ron is obviously in the superior position. But there's enough gray in the scene to make it work. Ron may not be able to convict Malfoy. Malfoy may be able to bring up the fact that Ron has used Polyjuice Potion in the past. You know, it's dangerous to go after Malfoy. Maybe some of the things he's saying might actually have some truth to it. You know, he. Let's slip to Ron. Well, that's 
yeah, that's what makes them a better villain, I think. Oh, he's a great villain. I mean, he like I, I'll be the first to admit that you know I, I enjoy as a villain Lucius more than Voldemort. I think with Voldemort, there's just fewer, there's there's less gray. I mean, he he's a snake walking around who is a vapor cloud for the first three books. I mean, there's <laughs> only so much that you can really invest into a character like that, but. There's just a and this is one of the great things they do. And I know Jen, you you really believe that Draco can be redeemed at times. I know there's some people who will just never believe that. I would like to believe that with everyone. I really would. And and yes, just I don't know if Phil and, and Melinda, if y'all know, but I'm a huge Snape is good, and and Draco will be redeemed in the final book. Person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. I, I think I, yes. I think we saw the beginning of Draco's redemption in the last book, and she mentioned one character that that's been redeemed. I, my feeling is that it's him, and I I do think Snape's probably working on the good side, but I'd rather him be bad. Okay. Oh, I, I like that. Yes, that, that's put it very well. You wonder how many fanfics are out there where literally, like, Draco gets hit by a car, and then the car backs up, because like, what the hell was that? And they back over him again, and they're like, oh, nothing there, and they drove over him again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I don't... Yeah, well... I'm waiting Draco. for the podcast. I'm waiting for that podcast. Okay. No comments for until then. <laughs> no, for the seventh Horcrux. That'd be awful if it's like in, on page two of Deathly Hallows. You know, you know, Draco got killed. Oops, oh. and that's it. You know, no I would like throw my book down and stomp away. Would that be awful if he's you would not, not? What if he's not in the book at all? And like, you know, he ran away from Hogwarts and was never seen again, and that's it. Not possible. All right, I will see him. JKR's got some pulses already. Joe Rowling would get in very negative and evil email from Jen. <laughs> it would be like, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> that's about Jen. <laughs> that ought to do it. <laughs> yours, that would, I love how that, yours most unsincerely. She keeps saying she doesn't like the way all the young girls idolize him, so maybe she will just off him. <laughs> it's in, the, you know, it's in oh. the epilogue, too. You know, Ron and, you know, Hermione had lots and lots of babies, and Ginny and Harry had lots and lots of babies, and McGonagall was headmistress, and Draco was never seen again. <laughs> You know, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna idolize somebody in the Harry Potter world, I think it would be disturbing to me if my thirteen or fourteen year old girl thought that Draco you know, is this sexy character. Yeah, because oh please, I mean no. Harry's the good guy here. It's, yeah, it's well, a yeah, bad he's so awkward. Mentality. He's so aw- Harry's so awkward. We read about him, and then we hear about you oh, know, like Draco. Draco, fan fiction Draco is so hot. <laughs> the, the thing is, these are, these oh, are the, I really just have like a silly idol sneer going on. <laughs> you know, you know what it is. Draco's not hot. Tom Felton is hot. Draco in leather. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Draco's not. I think that they. I think that they miscasted Tom Felton because I don't think that Draco was necessarily an attractive. Oh, he's so pretty, isn't he? Yeah, well, I can't especially as a younger kid. Is he younger than me? <laughs> I have a thing for Lucius, man. He's gorgeous, <laughs> but bad. He's a bad, bad man. I love how you covered on that. He's gorgeous yet bad. Very, <laughs> very bad. Nobody you know, like. I don't think, you know, he's I don't beautiful. think they look inbred enough. Like I always, fig- I always figured, you know, if you've got pure bloods and you're only marrying pure bloods, and you don't really get a sense of the wizarding world is huge, then, then obviously your average run of the mill pure blood is going to look like it got hit upside the head with an ugly stick, you know? Yeah, but, but it'd be really hard to find inbred 
people to play the part. They <laughs> <laughs> can go to Arkansas. <laughs> I'm gonna get drunk. Look, it's Uncle Grandpa. This is why I'm here. I think. Okay. I'm picturing like some random guy with a helmet on, like in the scene of Chamber of Secrets with like one eye that just kind of drifts. Oh, the casting God. agents. Can you send me anybody you have that's inbred? <laughs> okay. Forget forget that oh, I... Yeah, whatever. Jen, thank you so but much. But I make a valid point. <laughs> Sorry. It is a valid point. They need to get somebody from, like, the British royal family or something. But at the same time, I have to say this. I think that if Draco was uglier, there wouldn't be enough leather Draco fan fiction, and I would feel that loss. Well, sure, you don't see a lot of like crab fan fiction out there, so I don't know. Man, I Moody. Yeah, you know, I actually think that. No, I was just say you don't see Mad Eye Moody in that many ships, so maybe. Really yeah, not too many. I actually think it was when I when I read the the chapter where uh, Ginny was working on Draco. I almost wondered if A and Z got their inspiration for his his glamour and, and her removing it from Tom Felton. You know, because he's so perfect and porcelain-skinned. You know, I just wonder if maybe they, they kind of had that, that vision in their mind when they, when they went to write that part. I don't know. Maybe. I, I like the porcelain skin. I like that. He's just so pretty. Well, maybe the hair. Maybe they, they're so inbred the hair just lost all of its pigments. I don't know. They use La Rouge products. Oh, no. Draco's infertile. That only works on muggle women. But I don't think so. I don't think. I, I think, think it just, does it work, just, does it just work on women, though? Oh, it seems to me like something named maiden maiden hair would only work on women. Um. So we find out that Draco has been arrested. And yeah. Oh, Jim, we've covered this. <laughs> I think you were comfortable. Yeah. So we find out that Jenny's at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and we find out the definition of beleaguered. I looked it up because I didn't know. Under siege, in difficulties, or harassed. So, harassed by half-wits. I love it. And Ginny's at the top of the stairs. I'm sorry, the half-wit conversation came too close to Draco and the helmet for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing, like, you know, like the the pure blood family reunion, a bunch of guys in helmets, like, chasing, you know, the muggle-borns with their hockey sticks. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Ryan, you've got issues. I apologize. I'm not the one who brings this stuff up. All right. So let's stay on topic so we can get through these last three chapters. Only one down for the go. All right. Yes, Sirius has come up the stairs and basically said, leave him alone, don't disturb him. And she's sitting up there feeling awful still. You know, and he does the, the laying on the head thing again. And I feel at this point that he's going to forgive her. And I feel like this sigh of relief, like, because she, she, it gives her relief. She's able to breathe again. And then, you know, he's, he's talked quietly to her for a minute. And he says, you know, Remus, I've just talked to him and he's worried about how you're taking this. And, and, you know, and she, that just punches her in the gut and he goes, it makes it worse, doesn't it? And I know that yesterday I had thought that he had said it more like it makes it worse doesn't it like very vindictive very cruel 
and we talked about it and I like it so much better now that that he's he's I think I think I agree <laughs> with y'all that he say he says it from a more understanding viewpoint that he's been there he knows what she's going through he's not gonna um you know say that he forgives her or anything like that but but he understands it and I liked it from that viewpoint a lot better I believe he meant right, all you y'all right there what did I say <clears throat> right was it all y'all or was it just y'all? <laughs> um, I think it was. I think it was y'all. See, because okay. she's just talking to four people. If she had one more person in here, it would have to be all y'all. Okay, I apologize. That's right. unspoken. Right. Does anyone have any? I've commented on this before. Does anyone else have anything to say about the scene with Jenny and? I I think I like Sirius and Jenny's reaction uh, interactions. Anytime that Arabella and Zenya put these two characters together, I think you know that you know they good. They, you know, Ryan, you talk all the time about, you know, interesting combinations of characters. And, you know, if you're taking the consideration that they only have Goblet of Fire, we don't, A, see very much serious, B, see very much Jenny or Ramus or, you know, any of these characters that you're prominently in this fic. You know, I, I, the interactions here are so close to canon sometimes. It's just a good combination of, of characters because they kind of have... You know, Ron and Sirius have the same issues. Jenny and Sirius sometimes have the same issues. Sirius has got, like, a little bit of everybody's problems all rolled up into one. Sirius has a lot of issues. <laughs> yes. Sirius yes. is a troubled man. <laughs> but but then again, I think that Sirius and Harry have so many of similar... And that's what makes their characters the most tragic. It's very rare, you know, from my perspective, unless you're reading a Marauder fic, to even have Sirius involved in a story like this. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, Melinda, you were one of the first authors I read, and she, I haven't, you know, had a chance to read your stuff yet, but so I'm not sure where you come at in this. But usually, you know, the Sirius... I'll tell you when you're done. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Usually the Sirius I see in fanfic is, you know, the dead guy who is a plot device for Harry's guilt. And it's it's so. This is one of the only fics I've read where Sirius is just completely developed as a character. He's not killed, and you know, I have to keep kicking myself as I read. You know, <laughs> Jen, I kick myself. I have to keep remembering Sirius is dead. Sirius is dead. Sirius is dead because he feels so alive to me after reading this. Like I, I can't slip easily back into the canon where Harry lost his godfather because you know after the end just seems so realistic to me that, you know, it's interesting, like, I never would have thought, you know, Ginny and, you know, Sirius's relationship, because as far as I know, they've never met. Not in canon up until this point, no. Right, right, right. right. Or, or barely even, yeah, well, obviously they made it, you know. I remember, place, I read this fic after I had already read Order of the Phoenix, so it was, you know, after we had really lost Sirius, but I remember being so impressed with the fact that they got Sirius the unhinged sort of aspect of his personality before we saw it in canon but they nailed it really good i was always very impressed with that yeah yeah one of the you know aside from making you know madungus fletcher you know the head of magical law enforcement i think they pretty much nailed everything fairly well (laughs) (laughs) oh man you know actually i remember when um because i I read this before um order of phoenix came out and one of the things regardless of of whether or not i had read after the end, I remember being a little bit upset when when Sirius uh, was killed in the in the canon books because it seemed. Oh, I was horrified. Yeah, I mean, but it seemed to me the thing that bothered me the most was that that character all the way up through the fourth book had been set up as a survivor. You know, I mean, that was what he did. He survived. Yeah. No matter what the odds right. were, he managed to live, and then it just seemed very strange to me. I remember reading that that sequence in the in the in the fifth book and going. What? 
and then you know going back and reading it again and say did what the heck just happened i mean this this character who had been set up as this just pure survivor just gets boom hit and he's gone it's like, okay well that I, I just seemed, it seemed very strange to me yeah, I remember not being able to comprehend it. I, I read it, and I'm, I'm a very fast reader, and I read it, and I was like, I am sure I did not read what I just read. And then exactly. I read it back, and I read it again, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm misunderstanding something. <laughs> I kept waiting no. for the, oh, hey, I'm back, or the, you know what I mean? Oh. Like, well, I, you know what? You know, yeah, in Order of the Phoenix, you have, you know, Joe, we know going into this that someone's going to die. So, you know, I love how Joe sets this up, and you think it's Arthur, you think it's McGonagall. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, I was in, if you if you think about the way it's set up, you know, you have the scene where, you know, you know Harry walks into the room, and Ron's dead body is on the floor, and it's Molly's bogger, and, you know, McGonagall's been hurt, and Arthur's been, you know, attacked by the snake, and they keep setting up all these characters near deaths, and then, you know, they finally hit you with Sirius, but I actually... But even at the beginning, when Harry first goes into Grimmauld Place, he says, there's a line in it that's something about, it's like walking into the house of a dead person, and it's like, that was a dead giveaway, <sighs> since you knew somebody was going to die, but I didn't catch it then. Oh, man. Yeah, I still think he's gonna. I think we're gonna hear or see from Sirius again. I don't think no, he's alive. Sirius I'm not dead. one of those, but I think that we're going to hear from him again, like see a portrait or. Um, I think something about the something the Deathly Hollows somehow. Yeah, there's the, something with the the, the, the mirror, the, the dead or the. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, but I, I do think. Yeah, I think the veil is too obscure to not come back again in some capacity. You know, it's just, it's like, you know, he happens to fall through, you know, the, the veil to nowhere. I mean, you know, to make it not a cop out, I think we do have to, we do have to see it again. And I just have to add to when I read it, I missed it. Like, I, I read the chapter, not until, you know, Remus said, you know, he's gone. Did I catch the, f- I'd go back and read the part about him falling through the veil yeah. again. Like I, I just literally must've glossed over it. So I felt like a moron. Exactly. Well, and- because it was such a small moment, yeah. it was just over. But when quiet. is death not, you know, Ryan, I, I kind of want to go back to what you had said about Melinda and, you know, Sirius not being a, a plot point. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, it, it you either, you two extreme sides of, of people who write serious. And, and this is just me. In my opinion, and I'm sure, you know, feel free to disagree with me, that you really almost have two sides to it, you know? You have the people that write the, you, the write the Marauders era, Marauders era stuff, that's what I'm working on really hard right now. And then you have people who write, you know, what I would consider doomed to be a you, you know, that side of things. And, uh, and so you can either make him into this, like, manic, down, bipolar character, or he becomes this benevolent figure that, you know, Harry lost so tragically. But, you know, in reality, if, if Sirius had lived, how capable would he be of, of being an effective godfather? And I think that we see that a little bit in Order of the Phoenix, but it's very clearly demonstrated in After the End. I think this is very realistic characterization for uh, Sirius because he just, he's not, he doesn't have the skills. He's not capable of, of, being what Harry would like him to be. You know what I'm saying? Just to jump around, look at the end of, you know, this chapter. You have, you know, compared to the veil scene, you have Sirius, you know, recognizing the fact that, you know, Harry cannot keep going out there in this dragon. You know, the world has to be, you know, made safe from the Dementors. So he literally swims to Azkaban, disguised as a Dementor, and he's going to go in there, and he's going to, you know, he's going to take them out. And, you know... 
I, I love the scene after where essentially Harry has to go in and nearly die to save him. And, you know, they, they, they pull him out on stretchers and Harry just goes up to Sirius. And, you know, this is Sirius that was just railing on Ginny for being immature and for not considering, you know, the consequences of her actions and the effects on other people. And he almost killed his godson in 20, you know, dragon riders and horrors. And, you, you know, you just, you just look at the character and he is just like Harry. You know, he's never had the opportunity to become an adult and to learn the type of, you know, responsibility that, you know, really distinguishes him from Harry. You know, he led the Order of the Phoenix. You know, that's true. So he does have the, you know, although Harry defeated the Dark Lord and, you you know, Harry can't ask a girl out and he wants to give Ginny, you know, the little princess hat. I mean, you know, like everyone's, everyone's got some issues here. And... I, I really want to just buy Daniela Princess hat and just leave it in her it's apartment. It's so adorable. I would love a princess hat. <laughs> you guys are so easy. It was cute. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? It's just like you, you, you really get the sense that he is no different from Harry. And I think what she just says is very profound. You know, you're either going to have, you know, the you know the, the ladies' man marauder guy or you're going to have the manic kind of, you know, messed up person. I think a lot of people find middle ground that's actually a mistake. They make Sirius into the perfectly normal guy who, you know, is a great, you know, resource for Harry and a great role model for Harry. He's not. He could never be that person. That person, you know, was lost the minute he went to Azkaban. And I really right. like that the fic portrays him realistically. He's a screwed up person. Who knows he's a screwed up person? And I and I love the fact that I was even wrong on this and I oversimplified it. You know, the the scene I think it was back uh much earlier it was the scene where uh, Penny actually gives birth where he's on his broom and he's floating up, you know, over Azkaban and he's just kind of staring at it like a face off. And, you know, I portrayed Sirius's motives as no one else will go through what I went through. I'm going to you know, take out Azkaban. I'm going to take out the Dementors you know, for everyone else out there who's innocent. And that's not what he's fully doing. That is part of it. But primarily, he's afraid. He will never feel safe as long as they're out there because they could hurt him again. And I think it's, a, yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it's selfish, yes, but it's very human. I mean, we think about ourselves first. Human beings are inherently selfish. We do things for our own safety or for those of people we love. But we, we tend to make ourselves the center of the universe. And Sirius does that, you know, as much, if not more, than anyone. And I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I do think it's interesting in this chapter that the straw that finally breaks the camel's back with Sirius is what almost happened to Harry when he passes out and had to be rescued. That was the catalyst for him, you know, because he had been, he'd had the spell, he'd been working on it, and you know, we'd seen these in previous chapters, we'd seen this foreshadowing that uh, he might take this and, and try and do something with it, but it wasn't until something almost happened to Harry. And I think that's, you know, you're right. He doesn't have the skills to be a godfather, but Lord knows he has the emotion, you know, the protecting, the protector type of, 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 uh, pure emotion. And that's ultimately, I think, what pushes him over the edge. He says, okay, this has to stop right Something now. Something has so, to be done. Yeah. That, right. that right. scene with, with Harry in, in the office there, that is one of my favorite scenes, I think, in the whole story. And yeah, I remember getting so frustrated. Even with Mr. Weasley in the ministry, like, well, what has to happen? Does Harry really actually have to, to die for you to realize that this is a bad idea, but there's nothing you can do? So go home and sleep for this afternoon, but you got to come back tomorrow. Right, exactly. And so, yeah. and for Sirius, that was just that, you know, and he'd been trying desperately for the last several chapters uh, to, to convince people that something had to be done. 
And I think he waited as long as Sirius was capable of waiting. And then he finally just said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm doing it. If nobody else is going to do this, I'm going to do this. And that's what really ultimately pushed him over the edge. So I do agree, Ryan, that, that his motives were selfish in a lot of ways, but I also think it was, it, it was driven in, in, in part, if nothing else, than by a need to protect the people that he immediate, in his immediate circle that he cares about, and especially Harry. Oh, sure. I mean, when I say that, I think that that's kind of like the dirty little secret. That's the part that he doesn't want to admit. You know, he's been talking for weeks about we have to destroy the Dementors, we have to help Harry, we have to help the Dragon Riders, we have to, you know, protect everyone from them. So that's definitely, the, you know, the public focus of, of, of why he's doing what he's doing. But inside, he's freaked as hell about them and he's never going to be able to, li- it's kind of like the, I, I think I said this before, it's the, like the reverse, um, Order of the Phoenix prophecy. You know, Sirius cannot yeah. live as long as the Dementors live. And it's either yeah. me or them and I'm going to take them out because then I can finally have a good night's sleep. And, well, yeah, and, and once he gets inside that prison, uh, you know, before the, the Dementors take over his mind, he's, he's almost enjoying it. He's got like a perverse pleasure in what he feels like he's about to do. So there is some definite selfish motivations there and some, oh, yeah. some plain old fashioned revenge coming out of him. Once he gets inside that guard station, he, he has that moment where he looks at the, the Dementors that are in there and says, do I know you? And he's got this almost smile on his face. And so, yeah, there's some definite, Good old fashioned revenge uh, uh, in his mind, uh, along with everything else. Well, revenge is a huge theme in these chapters as well. I mean, you see Ron and Culprat with Malfoy, and you see Harry and how he has to face you know the fact that, that his arch rival, the Draco, you know, is in prison now. And even Hermione, who in earlier chapters didn't blame Draco for the actions of his father, you know, even she breaks down and says, "I hate him," and she even gets a perverse pleasure out of seeing him. You know, in Culperat, you know, stripped of his dignity, and you know, just go down the list with all of these other characters, and how do they? Re- you know, the the scene that comes up when Harry and Hermione are playing chess, and you know, they recognize that Ron's in the position of power here, but maybe Draco knows something about what's happening with the Dementors and how the Dementors are completely overreacting, and how the Dementors are, you know, losing all control and and they're becoming wild, and maybe Draco can stop it, and they stop to you know consider, well, what if we were to pardon Draco, and what if we were to you know, give him his freedom if maybe he could help us? You know, is it worth it? Well, and they go down the list and they kind of do, you know, the you know, you know, the pro and con list. Well, you know, if we, you know, we could save money and we could save lives and we could, you know, finally end the PAP. And on the other hand, you know, maybe Draco will fund the next Dark Lord or be the next Dark Lord, but how much of that, too, is revenge? How much of that is we finally got him, we're not letting him go no matter what the price is. And I just think that issue of revenge just keeps coming back and keeps coming back because it, it, it's, it's a weak... Because it's... Yeah. It, it's, the opposite of, it's the opposite of the other major theme. I mean, it's the opposite of forgiveness. Revenge is the opposite of forgiveness. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, who these characters choose to forgive... And who they they choose to to you know exact revenge upon necessarily. So I don't know. I think it's I think it's a good transition theme, you know, to yeah. the end of the story because they, I mean they've kind of run the whole gamut of if you're going to write a, a a novel, you know, and you're going to pick a theme, like if you're going to consciously pick a theme, and I'm going to laugh about that or a minute because who does that? That's just weird. But if you're going to like consciously pick a theme. 
I think Arabella and Xenia have like run the gamut of what the theme of this story is. We've gone through like love and forgiveness and family and, you know, all these things. And now we're to revenge. And by the end of it, you know, it's going to be about redemption and stuff. And I think it's a little overwhelming when you think about it intellectually. When you're just reading the story for fun and, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, and all the different characters are on different levels of that. You see Ron really struggle with, you know, with not forgiveness, but he struggles with revenge. But you see Remus completely forgiving even when he's been wrong, whether it's by Sirius or by Jenny. You see them saying, what would Dumbledore do if he were here? Dumbledore would say, what's the what's the right thing to do? And I, I just think it all comes together, you know, just each of these characters is at a different point along that, you know, that highway between forgiveness and, and between revenge and, and what do you do. Yeah. And clearly Sirius uh, gave him the revenge set, uh, in a lot of ways in this chapter. And I just have to say, too, you know, I love the flashback to, to, to you know, and I've said before, you know, you feel for Sirius, but you kind of hope he can hang in there because I want to know more about the final battle. And, you know, you, you see Snape and you see, you know, how he died. He goes off to fight with Bellatrix's husband and he's presumably killed or they kill each other or whatever happens. It really was striking to me that Snape seemed like he was so natural in this fic, I forgot I hadn't read him very much yet. Right, and I yeah, forgot cool. that he wasn't alive. Yeah. I don't, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, and we didn't actually see him die, so I thought that was just, you know, I'm assuming he was killed, you know, by, by Rudolph Lestrange, but I, I just I just found that to be a very, you know, just a very fascinating scene, you know, the fact that they could take this character who, you know, has barely been in the fic and make me feel like the fic is about him. He, he was channeled so perfectly, and he felt, you know, fury towards... You know, Mr. Lestrange, and they had a, a you know a score to settle between you know Death Eater and you know Traitor is how they would you know portray him, and I just I just think that was you know very fascinating as well. I just I, I really loved that flashback. I loved the fact that you know Sirius was you know just almost sick with the fact that the Dementors you know were were coming to Hogwarts and the Dementors were surrounding him you know at Culprat and. Basically, that moment when he realizes, oops, I screwed up, and he knows he's about to die. I just thought, I was so angry at him here. Absolutely furious. I was just going to say, I don't necessarily think he, he accepts it any more than anybody who's about to get kissed by a Dementor accepts it. I mean, you just eventually you don't have anything left to fight with because the Dementors just suck everything out of you. Uh, that, that, yeah, at the end there, he he just doesn't he doesn't have anything left and that's it. And, it's, and I think in his mind, he, he would fight as, as hard as he could, if he could still fight, but he just, he just still didn't have it in him. Okay. So, um, just to, I'm going to edit this part out a little bit, but just to recap, cause, um, it's getting kind of late here. The two main things I just wanted to talk about, you know, as we go forward are obviously, you know, Hermione and her parents and obviously Ginny and Harry and, you know, Ron and Hermione and the whole engagement and all that. Um, what points do you guys have that you really want to touch on? So maybe we can kind of organize it a little bit. Can we talk really quickly about Harry completely losing it on series? Because this is absolutely my favorite scene. That is my favorite scene in the whole fic too. Thank Me you. Too. Because I, because, Ladies oh go my nuts. gosh, it took forever to freaking get Harry here. And he, when he lets go, good lordy, everyone, stand I, back. He no. lets go. And he tried to stop it even then. You know, he's glaring at everybody. But it, it, it finally just all came out. And I, I loved that scene. I, I was doing a jig 
I'm not Irish, but I learned how to do a jig for this scene. I was so excited. I well, was waiting for Harry to tell Sirius this all thick. All through the thick. Yes! My favorite line, my absolute favorite line, is where he goes, What's the matter with everyone lately? Harry gave a hysterical laugh. I can't, you can't die. Do you understand that? You can't die. My dad left me to you. And then he's like, can you hear me? And like Sirius is just like, oh my god. And I, and then he just keeps going, keeps going. Both of you, you're idiots. Everyone, her going to Mal- and like he he pulls in Jenny, her going to Malfoy's, you going to Azkaban. What's next? Hermione jumps off the building and Ron drowns himself. <laughs> Seriously, is it not fabulous? The, the dam had burst at that point, I think. Yeah, and uh, once once he started, I mean, that's one thing we've learned about Harry is that he doesn't he doesn't show his emotions very much, but when he does. The, the dam tends to burst and on everything comes out. And he says just the most horrible things. But this, the, but the things that we've all been thinking this entire fic, especially regarding Sirius. Right. Like, where have you been, Sirius? I need you. You're important to me. I love you. You haven't been there. Wake up. And he hasn't. Yeah. Everything he says is true. I know. And it's so hard. It's so hard to read. And I can't read it without literally gripping the edge of my seat because I, I'm right there in the moment. And not just, you know, the first time I read it or the second, every single time. And I think that says so much about the writing. Well, yeah, it's like with me. Like, it's it's such a stupid point to bring up even at this. But I was so annoyed for, you know, like three or four chapters with the character of Charlie. Because he was just pissing me off so much because he was so... Naked? Yes, that was it. It was the towel. I was so upset that he, he continued to wear the towel. I thought, why not just, like Sirius, just go naked the whole time? But um, you know, I'm when, sorry. That's quite all right. You, 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 it's okay. But, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, it's me. But, you know, I was just so irritated with the way he was treating Ginny that finally Ginny just tells him to knock it off, and Charlie does like the, you know, my mouth is moving, but nothing's coming out thing. And I'm just like, thank you! So I get what you're saying with the, with the thing with Harry and Sirius. I just, I had to, before we moved to Ella, which is also my favorite chapter. Um, They're all Jen's favorite chapters. <laughs> it's so serious. Um, <laughs> and no joke there. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to point that scene out. And then at the end of this, like, emotional roller coaster of a conversation, um, Sirius finally offers to take Harry to Godric's Hollow, which to me was a really nice moment because nobody's ever offered to take him. I think that's very strange. It's been eight years. He hasn't even asked to go. That's the thing. It's been like twenty years. It was, well, he was. He didn't know it was there for the first eleven. Come on, but you well, know, like it's. Yeah, can you I imagine that? There's a missing moment. Petunia, will you please take me to Godric's Hollow? <laughs> what? I will talk. I will talk about the girl talk between Hermione and Jenny. Okay. I'll be right there with you. That's my favorite. I, I love this. I love any conversation between Hermione and Jenny. But it's this chapter actually starts off with Jenny at with working on the Grangers at some St. Mungus, and Remus has allowed her two hours on the weekend rather than just the one, Mm -hmm. which she still feels isn't enough. And so she apparates home, and she finds Harry at the bottom of the stairs. And Harry, you know, they're going to a movie or something, and. Harry takes up for her. Not once, not twice. I think it's three times, actually. And when he takes up for her, it shuts everybody else up. And I, I just love it because they're actually at a place right now where I'm literally I'm literally just pissing myself over them. I just <laughs> want them so badly. 
to get together, get it together. And, and there's just angst. And every time they get together, I'm just, oh, and, and so, so it's I, whenever he took up for her here, I was like, yay, yay, like cheering Go him Mary. on. And then, but he still leaves. He doesn't say anything. And so Jenny is thinking, maybe I miss, maybe I imagined it. Maybe it wasn't really. And Hermione goes up and she goes, I saw it too. Uh, yeah, you know, that was that was a great girlfriend moment there. <laughs> it is, and Hermione's so great. And can, oh wait, before we go there, can I just mention that I think it's so funny that whenever somebody feels that they need to pass out or take a moment, it's Remus. That's the one that goes up there. Like I, I thought this was so funny. Is it just me, or does every time someone passes out, Remus is the one that's like, "Are you okay?" And like leads him to a chair or whatever. <laughs> but he does sure it again. Remus is here. <laughs> Madam Pomfrey isn't in this fix, so we have to use Remus. He's the only one we have. It's like the Hogwarts Express. But yeah, the one thing I just wanted to add is I love that you know I love Hermione's explanation to Ginny about how Harry operates. Look, he's going to get into a fight with you. It's going to be awful. It's going to last a month. You're still going to be around, and then he'll be good. And it reminds me almost as like you know, when you walk into someone's house and the dog comes up and sniffs you for five minutes and never bothers with you again. It's kind of like the same thing that Harry has to put everyone through and you know now it's Jenny's turn and he has to sniff her. I oh, just God, love the analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not mine. It's such a lovely way to describe Harry, I think. And it's the only author I've seen that actually, you know, drew it out for us. That I yeah, read. it was true. Yeah. Was uh, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but once Hermione said it in those terms, you just have to laugh. It's like, yeah, that's how it's going to work. That's true. Yeah, it'll work that that's way. How it works. You know, we I brought Voldemort up earlier. Harry's got an issue with commitment. He's you know he's got very much a stereotypical attachment disorder to where, you know he he doesn't trust that anybody. Of him, and you can understand why because anyone's going to stay. Yeah, it's it's, right. it's perfectly understandable. The poor kid. Yeah, right. And you know, Sirius shows up when he's thirteen, and he's there for a little while, and he shows up, and he's awesome, and then he leaves again. You yeah. know, so all of these. All of these things are, are leading up to a very messed up Harry Potter, and I'm glad so many picked up on that. Exactly. You know, like, Harry has issues, too. Hug at Harry. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Harry had, saw Expecto Sacrificum work, you know, firsthand. He's alive, so that means Ginny loves him. Like, he has, like, DNA evidence of this. But he won't believe it, because the only way he'll believe things is by example. You know, he knows Ron and Hermione love him, not because the spell worked, not because they say it, but because, literally, you know, it's been seven years, and they haven't left me yet, so you know they're probably not going to at this point but he literally needs to be walked through this and he needs to have it shown to him you know every single time and you know he he's finally going to get it and I think that was the turning point that you were talking about before Jen I think in the kitchen when he finally sticks up for her when Ron's going at her to spill the beans on Malfoy I think that that's really the point when Harry says I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore and he stands up for her and he yes. makes that first step and I think it's a great moment it's such a great moment I really liked the, how the conversation went with Hermione in that she really came across as supportive and elderly sisterly. And it wasn't a competition between who knew Harry longer or, you know what I mean? Like she's honestly wanting them to get together and she loves them both. And I just love that she, 
she takes the time to explain Harry to Jenny. And she she says it, you know, in such a nice way where I, I've known him longer. I, I don't understand him like you do, but I, I do have experience, and this is what I've learned so far. And I think I'm right, and I think it'll help you if you understand where I'm coming from. And I just really liked that. I liked how Hermione plays the motherly role at times, and yet with Ron, it seems like he's more of the, I'm going to take care of you. You know, like she takes care yeah. of everyone except when she's around Ron. And I think that is that says so much about their relationship. Yeah. But but I love I love that moment. So I just want that's all I wanted to point out. Well, especially with chapter 4 that you see Harry with Ginny and you see Ron with Hermione and they you you, you can't they they both love, you know, each other deeply, both, you know, couples towards each other. And you you can't say that, you know, one of their loves is stronger or weaker than the other. They they just both love very intensely. And when you look at like where they are, you know, like Ron's proposing marriage and, you know, Harry and Ginny have like, you know, finally kissed, like, you know, it's just like, and finally said, I love you. And it's just, they're, they're, they're so far apart by leaps and bounds in terms of where their relationships are. But the, the, the love they share, I think is very, is, is very comparable. And, and- well, I think that's more realistic too, because you know how it doesn't make sense to me sometimes when, when we have, um, fixed with the trio in it, you know, and Ron and Hermione hook up at exactly the same time that Harry and Jenny hook up like that. That just doesn't happen in real life, you yeah. know. It just, it just doesn't. Sometimes you have those things happen serendipitously, but it's not all not that exactly. often. But, but you know what I really like about the fact that Canon did it the opposite way because I don't think I've ever read a fic that didn't have Ron and Hermione getting together first, and yeah. I love that it Canon was actually opposite. I didn't even realize that, I think, until a few months after I read it, where I thought back to Half Blood Prince. I was actually trying to remember the scene when Ron and Hermione got together, and I'm like. I don't think they did. Like, I didn't even know it. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm well, thinking, I'm like, no, no, that was fan fiction. Then I'm like, no, nope, we're no, still God. waiting. And then I'm thinking, still. And I'm literally thinking, I'm like, nope, Melinda wrote that. No, nope, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Well, <laughs> like, that's, probably, that's probably another reason why Half-Blood Prince is not a favorite of mine. Because there's still nothing between them. What if it never happens, guys? Oh, it f- in and oh, please. <laughs> what if it? I've I started every time that a new book has come out. I'm like, okay, this is got, this is the book. This is the one. They're gonna. It's oh, gonna happen. See, I'm much, They're gonna get I've together. I've always been more of a Harry Ginny fan than a Ron or Hermione, so I was actually quite delighted by the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, obviously, I, I like both, yeah. Now with only one book left, I'm, I'm starting to worry. Is is, is it going to happen at all? Because oh, it's like it's the foundation of almost all the fan fiction. To it's going to happen. I'm just not sure how much of it we'll actually see. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I don't gosh. think we see very much of it. We better. I mean, we didn't get to see anything of the Ramus Talks relationship. Like, out of love feel. She's well, like, it's, it's, it's all care. Harry's point of view, too. So even, yeah. you know, if they get together, how much of it, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. Well, I've already said, Can and Ramus just ticks me off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll I'll go with that. Canon Remus, I liked much better before Half Blood Prince than I did now. My my, my I, I'm not as enamored with Remus as I was before. Remus is Harry's shining. Sorry, go Jen. I was just going to say Remus's one big shining moment is him taking you know the initiative to hold Harry back from when Sirius falls through the veil. Like to me, that was parental. That was. 
They were sharing the pain. It was needed. He was doing something for someone else. And Dad Gummit, he should have been like that throughout Harry's life. I'm just take at him. <laughs> and yet I like him well, too. Well, yeah, Remus has got. I mean, Remus has got more issues than Playboy. I think he's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when it comes right down to it, we're talking about the psychology of Harry Potter. He's a werewolf, so he's really not supposed to be at Hogwarts at all. He he runs into three boys. Yes, three. We're gonna count Peter who accept him for who he is and go out of their way to make his life easier. And, you know, then he gets out in the real world and there's no way that he can get a job because of what he is. And But he still has Ramus, Peter, and James. Well, then, you know, James dies, you know, apparently by Sirius' hand and then Sirius goes off and kills Peter. So, you know, everything that had been stable in Ramus's life for seven years suddenly isn't there. So, you know, I, well, I can yeah. I can kind of understand how he gets in this selfish mindset of how do I cope, you know, and, and what am I supposed to be doing? And I think maybe Dumbledore might have said something to Remus like, you know, don't make this more difficult to, for Harry than you have to, you know. I think the diary of Remus would be very interesting to find out. I know we yes. said that before, but where he went, what he was thinking, where where why was he, he wasn't for there? Years. Yes, what did where he was do? he for thirteen years? Exactly. We, I want to know. Rolling, do you hear me? I want to know. Where was Raymond? Rolling now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're getting punchy this evening, aren't we? <laughs> I'm upset. I want an explanation. I have because to- I love Raymond. I just Agreed. have to point out, you know, the, the progression of Chi during last night's aborted recording. Chi went off for twenty minutes about how the the canon is sacred and it's all about whatever Joe says is right. And you know, you could have beautiful fanfic, but if it's in canon, now she's like, "Rolling, the hell are you thinking?" Hey, no, my point was not that Harry Potter was the best story ever written. It was that you have to have respect for canon for fiction to mean anything. No, canon, no canon is what Rowling wrote, right? Yes, we're bowing canon to canon. Is... We're bowing to canon. <laughs> Yo, Rowling. Sometimes reluctantly. <laughs> sometimes, okay. you know, sometimes she disappoints me. I'll admit it. Sometimes she disappoints yeah. me. And with Ramus, she disappointed me. That's why I like I like my Ramus better. But my she... Ramus is very heavily based on canon. Or Shoebox Remus, because Shoebox Remus rocks. Okay. Well, Shoebox Remus is also... Never mind. You and I will have the conversation later. Yes. Okay. okay. Phil, let's move on to Ella. Sure. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, So, um, yeah, essentially uh, what happens throughout the course of this particular chapter is that uh, the thing that those of us who were reading the uh, fic as it was being written that we had suspected and had suspected for quite some time actually ended up coming true. And that I was that this, this. Myster- yeah, this mysterious girl named Ella, uh, who French. spoke French and had blonde hair, and we saw very little of, uh, suddenly was discovered to uh, not only be alive and well, but to also be Fleur's sister, Gabrielle. This was, this was a topic of much debate on the Yahoo group. Uh, people were posting a... Uh, messages left and right saying, oh, I know who this is. It's got to be her. It's got to be her. So much so that uh, when the chapter finally did come out, uh, the authors left a, an author's note saying something to the effect of, isn't it great to be right? 
And um, they put this, things on the Yahoo group. Oh yes, every once in a while. But back when this thing was being written, there were there were messages flying left and right. I I, I yearn for the days when that was the case. Amazing. But um, the uh, yeah, th- this this was one of my favorite moments uh, in the story. Obviously, for 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 the obvious reasons that that we have this reunion here. Uh, where, where Gabrielle, who was, uh, we, we were flat out told that she was dead. I mean, I, I know those of us who read it still had this thought in our mind of, well, maybe she's not. And we had all this evidence, but then there, a few chapters ago, uh, even Fleur had accepted the fact that, that she believed, fully believed, because they had discovered her wand, uh, in that makeshift grave that she was, in fact, dead. And so there was the obvious stuff of, of her coming back and the whole exchange when, uh, they have Gabrielle in the hallway trying to get past uh, Bill and escape, and um, uh, Fleur coming in and speaking in, uh, in French to her, and then Gabrielle turning slowly around, and the, of course the realization. Uh, and that, I mean, that was wonderful. The 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 moment of the two of them coming together was was very emotional. Uh, um, I mean, I, I had tears in my eyes and everything. Yeah, I can't but, read this part without crying. Yeah, it's it's very well written. It's a, just just the reunion alone is just fantastic. But the the thing that I that really struck me about this particular chapter was that the the reunion itself, and actually even the full introduction of Gabrielle's character, wasn't so much about Gabrielle, in my opinion, as it was about the effect that it had on everyone else. Oh, yeah. You know, the the fact that the 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 family. And and everyone, everyone in that circle essentially had had experienced loss, and Fleur had even experienced loss. I mean, she had she had gone to the point where she was was accepting of the fact that her sister was dead, and to suddenly have this this uh, this character come back to life, literally, um, in in her mind was was very powerful. But what I really liked about this was you had this character of Adam, who throughout the story obviously had had gone through a progression he was he was a uh, kind of a bratty kid and uh we knew what his past was he knew what his past was to a certain degree but um you know in some ways you could see him sort of fighting it but he hadn't really ever done anything really big in this story yet and this was his first really large moment when he came running in early in the chapter and asked uh Fleur how to say certain phrases and i mean those phrases those phrases were dead giveaways do you have a sister uh, come with me. Trust me. I mean, these are all things that that made it yeah, very obvious. What, yeah. What, yeah. What, what was coming? Um, but I thought this was just a great moment for for Adam because this was the first thing that he had done in the story that was truly an unselfish thing. I mean, he he knew that this girl that he cared about because he had been sneaking food out to her for for weeks or months. Uh, he knew that 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 it was it was Gabrielle. I mean, he was just about positive. And he wanted to bring her back for for her sake, for Fleur's sake, and it was a it was a really great moment to to see uh, his progression and and his uh, growing up a lot uh, in this in this particular reunion. I, I really liked that a lot. I I was surprised by it the first time I read it. Obviously, the second time going into it, I started coming. The first time I went into it, I never expected that it was Gabrielle. You know, that it was Ella, and I think never. I never did. It never even crossed into my mind. I think the reason was I'm one of those people that maybe I'm too into what Joe writes in that, you know, Joe has always said that death is permanent. And I really believe from a literary standpoint that if, if, if you kill someone, don't, you know, don't go the soap opera route and find them, you know, 
living across town with amnesia. I mean, that I think kind of weakens the sacrifice. So I think that you know, I, I I never expected it because you know if someone told me oh we're gonna you know bring Gabrielle back and we're gonna have her be you know somehow she came from France to England and she's living, you know, down the street in Archer Alley and she just happens to be friends with the kid that the Weasleys took in when Fleur is marrying into the Weasley clan. I would have thought, you know, it's too hokey, it's too predictable, it's, it, 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 it really, you know, rings a false note. I like the way they did it and I like the way they did it for the reason Phil just mentioned. We don't care that much about Gabrielle, you know, even Fleur. I mean, Fleur is a character about loss, and she's dealt with her loss, so we've gained all we're going to gain from that. So, the, you know, we, the, 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 the only real purpose that Gabrielle serves, you know, much the way the Grangers, you know, serve a role, they're literary devices. Gabrielle is essentially something that brings Adam, you know, more into focus for us and shows us what kind of person Adam is. And it's great to read this because Adam is essentially becoming such a good guy and you never would have yeah. expected it from the beginning I mean I think his first scene is in uh, the Charlie Towel scene and he just kind of plows past uh, Bill and Charlie as they're leaving Arthur's office mm, Charlie and, and a towel oh, I saw that one coming I, I, I had to go for it. and you know it, now you see where Adam is now and he is the kid that you know runs and sobs by himself because he can't deal with the fact that maybe he's going to be like his parents. He just, the character comes so far in such a brief period of time that I think Gabrielle's discovery kind of helps him along in that. And I think it really impacts Bill and impacts Molly and impacts everyone around. So I think Phil's exactly right. That's the purpose of, of Gabrielle. And I think on that level, it serves a great purpose and isn't as hokey as it sounds like it's going to be. I have to say how yeah. much I like this scene from Bill's point of view. I like yeah. that it wasn't in Gabrielle or Ella's point of view. I like that it's because we get to see, we get to watch it just like Bill. And we get to be amazed and awed just like Bill. And we get to go through all of those emotions because Bill goes through those emotions. And one of another one of my favorite, favorite scenes is where Bill goes and gets Molly. And that's when I absolutely lose it. That's when I was sitting at my desk at work. I teach. And I, my administrator came in and he literally thought that something was wrong with me because I just, you just, it's so hard to breathe there. And you're so excited and, you know, tears just come out of your eyes. When he goes and he's just like, Mom, the most amazing thing has happened. I don't, I don't know. To me, because so many bad things have happened in this war. So many horrible things, and finally something good happened, and we're all just blown away by it. Yeah, and I think you needed that too. I mean, Melinda and Sheila, you know what you think of this because I'm curious from the author's <laughs> perspective. I'm like, yes, we have two of them here. It seems like when you when you write something like this, you you don't te- you don't show the reader something they don't need to see. Like you, you know, I know Jen wants to know where they all go to the bathroom, but we don't need to know that. I think we can kind of just picture the But they that. have a bathroom, and we know that they have one now. I love when they write things like that. I Jen, love it. Jen, never watch 24, because you're never going to get when he pees. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jack Bauer. He did I never pee. eat or poop. He did pee in the third season once. He left the room briefly and came back. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. That's I, true. I love how, remember the time he peed? Is the, right after he tortured uh, Audrey's ex-husband. Um, oh my god, the Audrey's ex-husband in the poop, and now I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 
Okay, when this, you're this writing is where editing comes in really handy. <laughs> yes. Yes, the betas take out the bathroom scenes, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. You yes. don't need the scene where he gets nauseous after he has the Chinese food. It slows the Blame talk. the betas! Well, okay. Like, I think I remember reading something about the fact that she made, JKR made a, she said something about Harry using a bathroom. I think it was at the end of Order of the Phoenix, and someone had said that was because of all the forum talk about wondering where they go to the bathroom. So Jen can't be the only one wondering about it. That is right. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yes. Jen is actually the one who started the where the hell is the bathroom, you know, fan outrage. That's site. Jen on all the different forums asking the question. Exactly. <laughs> Phoenix, uh, on, do you know where the bathroom not, is? Not. I'm asking everybody and nobody seems to know. No, but I guess my question would be, you know, in the scene where you have, um, you know, Bill run out to Molly, I would have expected, you know, I could picture another fic, I should say, where, you know, you, you find out that it's Gabrielle and Fleur and her are just embracing and you end the scene with him running mom you're never going to guess what happened and I wouldn't expect you to have to show him tell the whole story to Molly because we just heard the whole story we know what's up so you don't need to hear Bill explain to Molly what's up but the reason that's in there I think allows us to see something good happen. How often do we see something good happen in this fic? I mean, we just had the chapter where, you know, Hermione's parents, for a moment, we thought potentially thought their daughter was the one torturing them to death, and then we found out that, you know, you know, makeup products make women infertile because of, you know, death either involvement. I mean, we're getting to some pretty dark, you know, times in this fic, so I think it's, they, they needed to show something good happen. You know, mom, you know, the dead girl's alive, you know, Loser sister. I well, love the I way. I also that took in. this as the as the beginning of the the ball rolling towards the end. You know, this was the first good thing, but then the things payoff. start picking up here rapidly. You know, rolling down the hill towards the finale. Yeah, this is true. After the okay. end got canceled for a second season, so they had to tie up yes. all these plot ends. <laughs> oh my is... god! You mean she's the she's the orphan the whole time? Good lord! I, I mean, this is the part of the story where it gets easy for me to write because. The ball is rolling, you know, I, I, maybe some people have a hard time with endings and maybe, you know, Melinda, maybe you're different than me, but once I start power barreling the, down a certain the emotion path, was the first fic I ever, the first story I ever actually ended. I was so proud of myself for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I know the, I know the feeling. The first fan fiction I ever wrote, I wrote when I was 11. It was a Star Wars novel. I'll pull it up sometime. Nice! Yes, it's awful. It's dreadful. And um, <laughs> I just being so gosh darn proud that it was, like, done, you know? Yeah, we can see the light like, of the, like, okay, I know where I'm going with yeah. this now. Let's get there. Right, and, you know, I kind of feel like um, at a certain point, like, I'm in the home stretch. You know how it's easier to run, like, the last 20 feet of a, of a foot race? Not run. Because I don't yeah. run unless there's a large carnivorous animal after me. But I've heard it's nice. Um, you know, this chapter is kind of like them going over that hill and they're, they're starting their way down now. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, these are, these are the payoff chapters. I mean, you, you, it, was, it was interesting because I remember getting to these and feeling at the same time very exhilarated and very sad. Because I, I remember thinking, okay, the payoff. Here we, you know, here we go. The, the good stuff is going to start happening here. All these things that we've been waiting this whole time for. Uh, but at the same time, I remember, I, I, and, I, and I even posted a message to this effect on the on the group at the time, asking people, "Does anybody else feel that lingering sadness?" You know, because because it's it's winding down, and, and it's very obvious as you get to these chapters that, that the, the story is coming to an end. We're we're wrapping things up now. 
Well, I think and, we're all uh, feeling was, that, that same way about Canon now, too. I mean, don't you yeah. get really excited about getting it? But then I, I, I really don't want it to be over either. So it's like, oh, oh I, now I it's coming very so upset. fast. There was melancholy, actually, on, you know, on, on you know, the forums and in Leaky and on MuggleNet everywhere. You know, people didn't want the book to come out. And it's not that, you know, we thought she didn't finish it well or, you know, we just wanted more time doing what we're doing because I think – you know, we've all talked about this. What's going to happen to you know to the fandom after the after the book comes out? And I personally think fan fiction will explode because people are going to be like, "I'm not done yet." What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't want to be done with this. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think. And I hope we get a little bit like in after the end when we finally had Harry and Ginny together and we finally had everybody together. I kind of wanted a little bit more of the happy. You know, we had so much of the. Are they ever going to get there? So I'm kind of hoping that that with canon we get. Uh, that epilogue, at least. I, I want to see a little bit of their lives after the end. <laughs> or a sequel, right. Arabella and Genya. <laughs> a sequel. <laughs> well, after you know, the end of the end. Melinda <laughs> wrote a sequel. Why can't they? Well, M- <laughs> Melinda had to had to end the story. Melinda only wrote a six-year fix, so she had to throw the seventh. <laughs> yeah, well, the, originally I wrote a six-year because I didn't want to figure out how to kill Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I I remember doing that. I remember going. I don't want to have to mess with this. And then I keep telling it sixth year anyway. It's and it sucks for you, Melinda, because I actually really like the way you you know you, you did the deed there with Voldemort. The, I mean, I thought that was a really creative way of doing it. You know, in with you know canon ending. We're not going to get after the end. We're not going to get forty five. You know toned down chapters. If we're lucky, right. we're going to get you know like one in the epilogue, and that's it. So we're, that's why I think after the end appeals to us so much because I think this isn't like Star Trek Voyager where you know the show ends and you know the credits are up and that's it. I mean, you want something where you get some downtime with the characters, and I think the scene you know jumping around a little bit, you know when <laughs> I bring up Star Trek in the supermarket, leave me alone. I think the scene where. Uh, <laughs> It's like the time the Warp Corp breached. Is I'm in line at the deli counter, but you know, um, the the scene where you know Hermione and Ron and Harry are at St. Mungo's and they find out from Jenny that they're going to be able to, you know, wake up the Grangers and this could be it. You know, you've waited for years and you've gone like literally like a crusade for it and finally this could be it. And she's sitting between Ron and Harry and they're all holding hands and they're just talking about. I love the line. Do you remember the troll? And I felt like saying, "No, Hermione, what troll is that?" Because I don't remember being attacked by a large amount of troll in the bathroom. What troll? What, what, what are you talking about? But you know, and they talk about the fun times and they talk about you know Harry being there when Ron and Hermione kissed and, and you know they're joking about all the about all the about everything they've gone through. And I love the part where you know Hermione grabs her hands and says, "As long as I have the two of you, I can I can handle anything." And you know Harry blinks excessively, and Ron kind of looks away, and you know they've been through you know fights and arguments, and you know you think about the bad guys. You know if, if someone pisses you off, you just shoot the other guy. You know the, the good people have to live with each other, and it's more annoying and it's harder. But that's what canon means to me. It's the scene you you hardly ever have where these characters just say you mean the world to me, and I just love the fact that you know Arabella and Jenny are able to show us that. And even though we're not going to get after the end from Joe. I, I hope like, you know, we get a little of that. I really do. Yeah. So do I. Seriously. If we don't, I'm going to cry. And then I'm going to like live on fan fiction more. I'm, I'm interested in, in Joe Rowling expanding her universe. You know? I, I, I am know, too. I want to know what happens after. Um, I want to know what happens with Harry's kid. How rough would it be to be Harry Potter's kid? Oh, <laughs> my 
goodness. Oh, I think we got a couple of fanfics about that one. <laughs> I think the Avada Kedavra curse would like make him impotent or something. Oh, I can't God. see him having kids. He's honestly. impotent now. Harry? Oh no! He he's got to have that family. That would be horrible. Oh, I just can't see it. But you he's know, so <laughs> emotionally challenged. He would be a. Oh, I don't no. know. I don't he know. Has to, to finally get that family. He has to finally get that family. There has to be a payoff at the end of the I day. I don't think it's going to Harry end Potter like that. deserves to finally have a family. I yeah. think. I don't think, I think Harry you is kill Harry Potter off, or you've got to get a family. I think, I think to be a good off. parent. Oh God! I could think... you imagine in the canon if Joe has to write the chapter explaining that Harry's impotent too? <laughs> well, I was just—I was making a joke about that. Boys I and just... girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis, so I think he'd be <laughs> It just depends on where you're pointing the wand. Oh, Phil, you made my night! <laughs> Ryan, that has to be it. I'm not taking it out. I'm not taking it out. <laughs> oh, oh, you're a work too, right? So back to the story. Yes. So, what do y'all think? Uh, no, I just I wanted to say I, I definitely, uh, and I, I, I certainly want to talk about the uh, the scene in St. Mungo's, but I, I really didn't want to skip over the uh, conversation no, between Bill and Adam because oh, I think this is one of the absolute most pivotal moments in the entire story, and um, it, it's great because I, I saw Adam in a lot of ways throughout this story, and especially after reading this chapter, is kind of what I refer to as the anti-Draco Malfoy. I mean, he's, he's a, a kid who's coming from the same basic place in terms of having parents who've already gone down a certain path. And uh, we talked in an earlier podcast about, you know, your choices defining you as opposed to your environment and, and nature versus nurture and all those things. And this, this is a moment for Adam. This is a, a life-defining moment for him where he sits in that, in that barn and and sits next to Bill, and, and they they have the conversation about, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? And and Bill never tells Adam flat out what he's supposed to do, but he tells him that good and and evil will always be there in his life, even even regardless of who his parents are, regardless of what's happened in the past. Uh, there will be a, a time in his life where he will have to choose what side he is on. And at that point, Bill only hopes that Adam can, can make the choice that is the right choice. And I love, 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 love the line uh, that when, when Adam's asking him about, well, you know, when, when there are these battles and these fights, who, I guess whoever, whoever wins it gets to make the decisions. And Bill says, yes, they do. And then tells him uh, what he feels is the great secret of the universe. And that is that good always wins. And no matter you know, Yay! no matter how how yeah, no matter how far things go, no matter how bad they seem, in the end, good always wins. And and I love this that. Is... And it 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 just it's that that line right there is is quintessential hope and 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 everything about this story that I loved was was that no matter what happens in the past, it, you you keep fighting and you keep going on because no matter how bleak it is or how bleak it looks. You know at the end of it all that good is going to win. And and I just love that. Yeah, I do too. That's good my wins. That's my hands down favorite line in the whole story. Yeah. And it hands reminded down. me of uh the, the, there was a quote that uh, Mahatma Gandhi uh used uh, a long time ago 
I don't remember it exactly, but I'll post it to the to the forums. But it was something to the effect of, when I despair, I remember that throughout history, the truth and love have always won. You know, there there have been there have been tyrants and and murderers, and and for a time they seem like they were completely invincible, but in the end, those tyrants and those murderers have fallen. And 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 to always think of that when everything seemed bleak, you know, when everything seemed bad. To, to remember that, and that's exactly what Bill, I, I mean, Bill is channeling that, <laughs> that I almost wonder if uh, Arabelli and Zinnia read that quote and, and incorporated it in here because he's channeling that exact feeling in this, and I think it really has a very profound effect on Adam, and I think it, I literally think it's a life-defining moment for him, and I love to see it. Well, it's, I read- oh, I'm sorry, Jen, I, I just want to say real fast, I think it's the theme of Harry Potter is that it's your choices that define who you are, and when you have the Malfoys, they kind of, they pressure you, and they they force you and they manipulate you into making the decisions they want. The same with Vol- you know Voldemort. You know half of Hogwarts you know betrays the other half of Hogwarts because they were most likely you know forced to do it or intimidated into doing it. And I think that's why you know the good side always does win. And it's a very optimistic statement to make, even if it takes five hundred years Voldemort's rule before you know you know the order comes back and overthrows him. That means that you know we win in the end. I mean, it's, you can never defeat, you know, the good side, the good side will always come back someday. And I just think that's a great way, you, you know, to look at the world, but like, look at Adam right now, you know, okay. You know, Molly can stun him and, you know, super glue his butt to the, to the, to, you know, the, to the bench outside and she can, you know, try and raise him and she can, you know, hold him back when he's trying to be a little jerk. But, you know he has a lot of money now and he's going to be on his own in five years and he will be able to make whatever kind of decision he wants and a and z remind us when they talk about draco you know through the scene with harry and hermione playing chess that you know if you have a lot of money and you're you know favoring the dark side you can tremendously tremendously you know cause a lot of damage so adam is in the position to if he wants to he could really cause a lot of damage in the world and bill essentially says look it's your life i can't stop you you're going to face dark wizards we all are you have to decide you know if you believe what they believe you have to decide what you think of the muggleborns you have to decide what you think of the half-bloods and i can tell you what i think and i can tell you why i think it but it's your decision in the end and i think he is telling adam look i trust you i have faith in you and faith is one of the you know the huge themes as we wind down you know the discussion tonight faith is everything who do you have faith in do you trust someone to make the right decision do you implicitly you know give yourself over to that person and just hope they do the right thing. And I think Bill trusts Adam. And I think that trust is something he's never had before. And it's one of the reasons he makes the decision he makes to stay with the Weasleys. Well, I mean, that's one of the quandaries of, of growing I, I mean, growing up, you know, one of the things that's so great about after the, when they pick a theme and they run with it, you know, it's always one that's applicable to, to where, to where you are. And I think the great thing is that so many people who read fan fiction, you know, when I write fan fiction, I'm writing for an age group that's between 15 and 24. You know, that's that's kind of my target range here. And and um, and I think A and Z are, are hitting on one of the, the main one of the main quandaries of adolescence. You know, I have a pretty good idea of who my mentors are, but who am I? Yeah. You know, and what choices am I going to make? And do I go with easy or do I go with right? And what if right is easy sometimes? And nobody ever told me that. And you know, it it, it they make a very good point and they make a good metaphor and they demonstrate remember, an applicable lesson. 
this very well, I think. Yeah, I remember reading this line and thinking that perhaps I could, perhaps they'd gotten it somewhere else and were just using it, you know, like one of those quotes that everybody lives by but nobody ever mentions actually in writing. You mean Gandhi? <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so I, I have to say if they actually came up with it... <laughs> You know, with the the world's big greatest secret. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not saying they plagiarized or anything like that. Nothing like that. But do you know what I mean? That that's great. That's such great wording, and I think it just blows me away. It does because it's so great. And I love the generational difference here too. You know, they walk back to the house and they're walking through the woods together. And this is where you know he walked. You know, this is where Bill walked with Charlie all those years through the woods. And now he's walking with Adam, and Adam wants to stay and and take Adam to Egypt and it's kind of like as you know Molly transitions to the next phase of her life Bill's transitioning to his and he's going to marry Fleur and he's going to have Adam and this is you know this is why we read after the end what happens next how do these characters recover you know we're coming to the end of Bill's arc in the story and the end of Adam's and they end up together and you never who the thunk it I mean this is what happens after a war people reposition themselves and things change and this is where these characters have ended up and I think it's a great thing I think it was weird that Fleur's parents were still alive. I thought that they were dead. Oh, I know. I thought I, I thought they were alive. I never thought they were dead. Really? Well, her mother's a fashion model. What dark wizards go after the fashion models? <laughs> well, well, she's probably infertile because you know of all the makeup she's probably wearing. But you know. <laughs> well, I I will say that I love this next scene between Harry and Hermione. Does anyone else like this scene? Oh yeah, I mean, I've, this is the chess. They're game. playing yeah. chess, and Harry. You know, normally Harry will leave, but he's staying today. And Hermione is kind of wondering if he's going to stay or leave, and she finds out that he actually is waiting on Jenny. And I like this because Harry, like Ryan said in the last chapter, I think Harry has made the decision that he loves Jenny and he's going to do something about it finally. And and oh my gosh, I wanted this scene to happen. And then Jenny is just like, the Grangers, the Grangers. And I'm like, yay, Grangers, but ah, staff. You have to wake up now. <laughs> hey, guys, I know. hey, guys, it reminds me of that scene. you conscious all this time, you have to ruin this moment now. It reminds me of the scene from Star Trek VI, everybody. Yeah, I was thinking that. No, really, who's seen it? It reminds me. I've of the seen scene. it. Yeah, Captain Kirk and Doctor McCoy are thrown in jail because they're accused of assassinating, you know, the head of the Klingon government, and they're in the prison camp, and they're about they're about to be killed by the people who framed them, and they're and it's the thing where they're pointing the guns at them, and they're about to say, you know, okay, we're going to kill you now, and he's like, oh come on, if you're going to kill me, at least tell me who's behind the whole thing, and he's like, well, fine, I guess if I'm going to kill you anyway, I might as well tell you. His name is, and that's when Spock beams them up. Nice. And he's like, you kind of waited 10 seconds. They were about to give me the name. So it just reminded me of that scene. It's like, the Grangers yes. are awake. You're like, what? What the freaking That is a that? very good analogy, Ryan. That well, really is. It's the only one I've had that's remotely on topic. So let's <laughs> You just go. did great. Well, when we were talking about choices a while ago, I was just biting my tongue to not bring up Spider-Man 3. Because based, like after just seeing it, like that's basically the entire moral. of <laughs> You have everybody has a choice. And, and I was just like, I'm not going to bring up Spider-Man. I'm not going to bring up Spider-Man. But it was. So, okay. But, yes. One day at band camp. <laughs> hey, do you want Did some you band camp stories? I'm a marching band member. I can give you some good marching band camp Dude, stories. Dude, I was drum major. <laughs> so, I, I cheat, cheat. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah. No, Brian. Don't. I mean, oh. sweet Phil. Whatever <laughs> the hell your name is. Blah. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, but before we got into chapter to chapter forty, uh, I was going to uh, ask Chi to uh, reminisce with me about how long we had to wait for chapter forty. Uh, oh, because it, it was. Yeah. It would no. It was it was bad because there there were sometimes when we had to wait you know a week or two. Well, probably probably at least a couple of weeks between chapters, but it yeah. felt like a year. I mean, you, you read like, the last line of chapter thirty nine, and you, and then you, you know I, I think that for that particular chapter, I had printed it out on paper because I didn't want to be disturbed in my cubicle. So I printed it out on paper and yeah. went out to my car and sat in my car and thumbed through it, and I got to the last page and I went. No, no, it's not the last page. I dropped a page somewhere. There's got to be another page here somewhere with with more on, more on it. And uh, there you know wasn't. It's a so we ended up to... You know, it's a popular fic when the complete stranger in the next car over looks over at Phil and is like, "That can't be the end of it. There has to be another." Page. <laughs> I just I remember. I think chapter thirty nine was the one where I got so mad where it ended that it's either chapter thirty nine or forty. Um, I I I threw something. I was in, like, this is so bad, but I was in um, the conservatory, and I was sitting at the computer, and my sister was on the piano, maybe, or something. I don't know. She was somewhere, because my sister's always around. And um, I, I threw something. <laughs> like, I got so mad. I was like, gah! Didn't we have to wait, like, a month and a half for this one? Like, I, I think we so. were all on pins and needles, and... There's a lot of discussion in the fandom, and I really don't think people wrote during that time period because we were all so absorbed and waiting. I mean, that's just maybe that's the way I, I'm remembering it, but yeah. Well, I think what I like so much about the end of this chapter is that Hermione is so like normally Hermione's the one that's on top of things, the one that's telling everybody else what to do. And I really liked it because for once we get to see Harry be the in charge person yeah. that he must have been during the war. That everyone is kind of remembering whenever they talk to Harry because Harry just has been very much a zombie through most of this fic. And I really like that all of a sudden he's pushing Hermione into, you know, go get your things. He's, he's taking, no, she hasn't eaten. He's taking care. You know, he he takes, you know, that five minutes to say, Hermione, everything's going to be okay. Um, It's okay that you heard Jenny and my conversation because I saw your first kiss he tries to lighten it up and make her come back, snap back, I think, in some ways. And I just really liked that he took he took control of the situation when she needed him to. They take turns. They all have such good strengths. And one of their when all every single one of the characters' strengths, I think, is being able to take control of a situation when they need to, when it's their time to. Well, it's the and entire I, scene in the in the next yeah. chapter when they're sitting in the chairs, and you know Hermione is leaning on Harry and Ron, saying, "I can get through anything with you guys." The, yeah. You know, how often is it Hermione and Ron doing the same for Harry, or how often is it Harry, you know, and Hermione helping out Ron when Ron's about to go to the trial? I mean, th- these people are each other's safety nets and they need each other which is funny because you know during this fic they're always screaming at each other but they actually yes. really they really need each other and they really depend on each other and I wish we see that I, ho- I hope to God we really see scenes like that in Deathly Hallows because you know we got it in you know Philosopher's Stone and then you have these guys at each other's throats for a few books and you know I, I get the sense that we will you know based on the, how Half-Blood Prince ended with them vowing to stand behind Harry no matter what and you know hopefully that'll carry over into, into Deathly Hallows I'm sure it will but you know, it's it's. I, I was reading this. I'm like, oh my god, what a good scene! Because I think we, we, as the readers of After the End, needed that. After everything we just went through, we need the scene where they acknowledge that they're family and they need each other. And 
Yeah. Yeah, they've come so far, you know, and, and you think all the way back to the very beginning of the, of the, of the first canon book, they've come so far, and it's, it's, it was fun to kind of read through this, even though you're right, Ryan, that, yeah, of course you're not going to forget the troll. But at the same time, you know, people do that. They, they sit back and say, hey, do you remember, do you remember our honeymoon? Wasn't that fantastic? Or, or do you remember when our kids were we born? Giardia. Of course I remember. But it? it's still, it, it adds so much to, to oh. be able to share it with somebody. What was that, yeah, James and I got Giardia on our honeymoon in the rainforest. <laughs> I'm not joking. By the end of our honeymoon, there self. was Don't nothing. Don't honeymoon in rainforest. It, seriously, if there was nothing left to find out about each other at the end of that honeymoon. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I went to Disney World. We should have gone. We oh. thought about it. Oh, okay, wait. Before we end this chapter, can I just point out that Hermione goes to the bathroom and she she leans on the sink. There are sinks in the, in the Wizarding World. And, which I thought was extremely awesome. And that at the end... Who is the one that catches Hermione before she swoons? It's going to be Remus. It is Remus. <laughs> and he guides her to the flu. Uh, <laughs> quick aside here, Jen. I know you're watching uh, Battlestar Galactica now. I know you're up to the end of the second season. Do you know the character Racetrack, the, uh, the, the female Viper, uh, Viper pilot or the Raptor pilot Racetrack? Is she the Mexican girl? No, that's Kat. Every time they find something good, it's always Racetrack who finds it. Like oh, really? When they need food, they find the food planet. It's always Racetrack who finds the planet. Like, it reminds me of Remus. It's like whenever someone's falling over, Remus just comes out of nowhere and grabs the person and picks them out. <laughs> so That's a, funny. So it's a similar thing. So anyway, back to the story. I mean, when, when you see the, when you look at this chapter and you see the fact that, you know, Ginny's waking the Grangers, I mean, you see the fact that, you know, all these different things are happening, it's important to remember from a literary standpoint what's important here. The, the Grangers aren't really what's important. What's important is Hermione. The Grangers aren't characters in and of themselves. They're really plot points. I mean, it could be, you know, the family dog. I mean, it's not what, you know, we're here for. Okay, I'm not, okay maybe not the family dog. Wouldn't it be awful if, like, the entire Hermione goes to Cortona because she has to say Fluffy or whatever the dog's name is? The dog has a name? <laughs> I don't know why I went with Fluffy either. But, you know, several important points. You know, the first point, Ginny is able to finally do it. She's finally able to heal someone completely. You know, with the, with the dragons, she made them feel better, and she kind of broke through into, you know, and, and, you know, solved the problem a little bit. But with, you know, the Grangers, she actually did it. She got Mrs. Granger to wake up. She got Mr. Granger to laugh. That's what's important. She did that for Hermione. She did, did that for herself. Yeah. And, you know, she gets back to, you know, Lupin Lodge, and, you know, Harry helps her back, and, you know, he throws her into the flu, and she literally, like, plops. So he finds her like laying on the floor, like she's just like like kind of dove and fell asleep. And I just love this point. Harry gets her up to her room, and he takes her clothes oh. off, and he's changing her. And he looks, but you know, he only looks a little. Like you know, he tries so hard. And all I can think of is Jen was saying it earlier. You know, well, technically, she saw him in the towel, so fair is fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I love thing. that scene. And then he gets so embarrassed. Okay, we're not there, but we're not there. Well, isn't there a scene before, I mean, at one point, doesn't 
Jimmy be the one to get Harry dressed for bed when he first came home from Azkaban or something like that? Yes. No, I think she just lays out his pajamas and leaves the room, oh, doesn't right. she? Oh, okay. She just uh, takes yeah. care of it. Yeah. She doesn't... But she right, right before his birthday party, she runs into him in the hallway because he forgets his towel or right. he forgets his pants. So he kind of his runs pants. The towel. So, of course, he runs into Ginny because, really, she's been waiting in the hallway you know, every morning hoping she'll catch him in the towel. Well, so. every Harry... Right. Every thick needs a Harry with, with a towel scene. Do you have a Harry towel scene? No, I didn't do that one, actually. No, I really missed that, didn't I? Oh, you've got to add that one in. <laughs> oh, you had, Ginny with the shirt you had Ginny with the shirt that showed the belly. That was you. Yeah, that was the belly. Yes, what, what that's about you? sexy, too. What about you, Chi? Do you have any uh, towel scenes in your fix? Uh, I haven't read yeah, one yet. I haven't read it yet, have I? Well, are you, you're still on with all my look. Yeah, that's true. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I, have a, I have a scene that's deliberately making fun of... Um, I don't know if any of you guys know who Firebolt 909 is. She was really big back in the day. Oh, my God, it's old. <laughs> back in the day. Back in 2003. I love you. Well, back, back when NSYNC were still when together. Back Tower was around. <laughs> there, back when Gryffindor Tower was around. Ugh, fine, I won't even speak anymore. Y'all can just... <laughs> <laughs> T, please go. I'm very sorry. Right, there's a towel scene in... Um, T- uh, tested in fire, and it's deliberately making fun of Firebolt 909, who left Harry in a towel on the common room floor for like six months without updating. It's like the kid in the camera commercial is trapped. He's like, Mom, will you get me developed, please? Oh, I was saying that um, I really like I really like, I really hate, it's so hard because when I say I really like, it means I really like the emotional scene that makes me hate things. Does <laughs> Anna. <laughs> oh my god, it's after midnight, Karen. <laughs> But, like, Jenny is, like, one by one kicking people out of the room while she's working on the Grangers because she is so open. She can't shut people out. And, you know, you were talking about the scene where Hermione's sitting with them. But to me, I really liked the fact that Jenny had to kick Hermione out because of her anxiety. Like, I just love that they don't actually tell us how Hermione's feeling. They tell us through Jenny. And, you know, they do that so much in this fic. And I think it, it says so much about the fake in that we're seeing things as other people see them and not necessarily as they're personally experiencing them. And I think as a reader, it's so much easier to read about someone else watching someone than to actually acknowledge their own personal experiences. Like, it's, it's, a di- it's easier to write and understand. Does that make any sense at all, or am I just talking out of my butt? I don't no, know. No. No, actually, that's okay. what we talked about in the last podcast when, when there was the scene in, in the, one of the previous chapters where uh, Ginny was looking through the door when Hermione and Remus were executing the spell. And I was commenting then about how, how uh, bold I thought it was that they write these things from almost a third-person perspective. I mean, you're, you're in the thoughts of a person, but that person's not the person that it's directly affecting. So, no, yeah, I, I definitely see your point. But I really appreciated that, and, and I thought I'd point that out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good it's a good style choice, I think. Yeah, you know, I I think one of the you know, uh, my friend Kat wrote wrote about baby author syndrome, and I think one of the things that is very indicative of baby author syndrome is that this belief that you know it, to really understand what somebody is going through, you have to be in their shoes, you know. And once you've, um, I'm a firm believer that you know at, at least you know. Some people write in the first person just so they can get intimately familiar with how their characters think, but 
you get to a point when you're writing where you're not comfortable with first person anymore or, or, you know, that, the idea where you're telling the scene from somebody's, the perspective of the person who's being the most emotionally influenced because you can't get a good, a good balance, you know, I, right. I think it's, you know, you call me crazy, but I think the better authors understand that humans relate better through observation than through, you know. Well, I know, direct. I know, yeah, I, I know that in the first podcast, y'all even mentioned, um, <laughs> uh, y'all mentioned how when Harry is sitting there on that rock or that log or whatever, you know what I'm talking about, and Jenny comes up behind him, that we're seeing Harry's feelings through Jenny and, you know, like throughout the entire fake, we're always seeing everybody's feelings from someone else. But I think like when, when Harry ends up blowing up at Sirius after Sirius gets killed, I think another part of why that scene was so powerful was because for the first time we're seeing Harry be angry through Harry's eyes. And I think that scenes like that are more powerful because of the writing style. Yeah, because it's something we don't always see. We always see, you know... It through someone else, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's almost like a filter. Yeah, that's actually That was like very a... profound. Oh I'm, so, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> this time at night, that was spectacular. <laughs> Wait, we, you mean we get to say that our own stuff is profound? Oh, man. Absolutely. All right, well, I'll remember that. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I just... Hold on, hold the podcast. I just got a Phoenix Song author update. I'm wondering if this is... Oh, no, never mind. Dang it. See, Melinda Leo, you know, I, you're on my update list, so every time I get one, it's either you or it's St. Margaret's. And I was hoping it would be you, so I would be like, oh my god, it's you! <laughs> nope, not me. Unfortunately, she's here doing okay. the podcast, so she can't be writing, so unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was getting excited, too. Yeah, so I, I just wanted... Just to, you know, to point out again, I just, I love the fact that, you know, you can really tie down, you know, the final, you know, parts of chapter 40 as faith and love. It's, you know, the faith that Harry and Ginny, you know, and Ron and Hermione have in each other and how total and absolute it is. It amuses me so greatly because you have this amazing scene, which I'm sure Jen's going to want to jump in on, you know, with Harry and with, you know, Ginny and, and how their relationship comes back and how they... You know, they find the love they have with each other, and I just love the fact that it ends with Harry. Did you dress me? <laughs> and like, you, you sense that that's going to be it. And this is going to be like, you know, we're going to have an eighty chapter fic because they're going to have a falling out again. And she and she completely trusts him, but she also just checks to make sure she has underwear on. And when she does, everything's going to be okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I just liked how her, her, her Hermione's parents woke up and. I just love it, and I love that Harry and Jenny are finally... Oh, the way he helps her home, honestly, I was sighing. I was so thrilled at this point, and they hadn't even said anything. They hadn't even talked. All she says is, help me home, please, and they're together again. Snap. Nice. Someone else must have some thoughts. This is the amazing point of it. Someone it, else. It, it was you know, the whole, that whole ending there was very sweet. I'm going to say, when, uh, obviously, the... the the, the culmination of this whole thing was uh, uh, him him bringing her back and getting her dressed, and then she falls asleep, and she has her nightmare. And when she wakes up, she sees that it is Harry who is who is over her. And, um, you know, it, it's in the past, it's usually been Hermione. 
who's been the one that's kind of been there for her and talked her down and calmed her down and let her know that everything was going to be okay. And it's, it's Harry this time. And not only is she obviously very happy to see him, but she realizes that he isn't hurting her anymore. It becomes, it, that's when it becomes really obvious to her that, that wait a minute, I, I've, you know, all this time that I've been open to him, it's been hurting me because of all the pain he's going through and I, I don't feel it anymore. And, and what does that mean? And we, we find out, uh, very, very shortly thereafter that, uh, it, it means something very important. And I, I don't want to stamp on this one. So Jen, you you feel free to take this one away. Oh, well, thank you. I was embarrassed there for a second <laughs> that I was the only one that was going, Oh, <laughs> no, no. I felt the same way. Okay, good. Jen's well, for clumped. <laughs> I, for, I love that word. Um, <laughs> I do. Um, I love learning new words anyway. Okay. I really like that out of both of them, Jenny's the one who wakes up with the, with the nightmare. Did y'all like that? Yeah, I thought it was great that. Yes. Jen, well, I thought it was great from the literary standpoint that Jenny had them because all you hear about for all these years is Harry's nightmares and everything that you know poor yeah. Jenny's having them too. I just like that Harry here. He's the to me their relationship so far has been Jenny literally dragging Harry along with her emotionally, um, in 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 many ways. I mean, Jenny's the one who knows what love is and like she's so sure of it and 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 she's waiting for him to get his act together and blah 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 and then finally they're together and he's finally doing the uh the man thing he's finally taking control of the situation yes it's just him comforting her from a nightmare but it's so much more at the same time I love how she considers him too, you know, the slayer of Voldemort, you know, it's here to protect me. You know, in my dream. I think that is so funny. Because then you think of Harry in this fic and like he, he's trying to give her, you know, the, the you know, the, like the my little pony hat and, you know, he, you know, he, he's like, he tells her that he loves her and he's sobbing uncontrollably. He can barely get the words out and, you know, the leather he wrote that he carried around for six weeks, you know, looks like, you know, a 10 year old wrote it and, you know, he's the slayer of the time. Lore. And it's just, it's such a funny, like you're picturing Harry with like, you know, like the, like the armor and the sword. And it's just like, you're like, what? Can I just say that his letter, I think that is so great. And it's so, it's such a lovely comparison to his, um, you are the basis of my Patronus. <laughs> I mean, it's just literally, I am here. <laughs> well, and it's, it's also a reflection, wonderful. you know, it comes straight from the letter that she wrote to him earlier in the story. Cause yeah, that was the, I'm the here. entire contents yeah. of, of the letter that she gave him on his yeah. birthday that just said, I am here. And he was trying to say the same thing to her. Don't, I am here. Don't and, give up on me. Yeah. yeah. And did anybody I else, <laughs> did anybody else love? <laughs> I thought you loved the, Ron. Uh, what the hell? Yeah. I like okay, it all. It changes hourly. Okay. Um, but no, I was just going to say the 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 actual moment of the the admission from Harry, uh, and we, we talked we talked about this before. But the 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 way that it was written, oh, yeah. and he finally did tell her the words that we have been dying for the last <laughs> forty chapters to hear. We didn't even get to hear them, and I just I, I just. It. It's a private I, but it was, moment. But I thought it was great. Characters. It's a private moment. Between, yeah, I don't even know if we. I, I haven't read the head past forty yet, or for the reread, so I don't even know if we ever hear him say it. But you know, no, I love, we don't. We yeah, don't. we do. Do we? Okay. No, we hear her say it over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, but I don't think we hear him say. it. Uh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. We don't hear it. We don't hear it. Sorry, this chapter makes me excited. 
<laughs> but you know, it's 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 this perfect. I, I just love the thought process there. It's a private moment between Harry and Ginny. The rest of you can't hear it. I love the fact that he's like sobbing. I've never told anyone that before, and yeah. you know, don't give up on me. And it's well, just, he just so- starts grieving. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Like, hasn't this whole fake been about why isn't Harry crying? Yeah. Yeah, and he. Yeah. Like I think I think you see the early strain back in Arthur's office when he's like, "Please don't make me go back out in the dragon. Please let me." You know, it's the only time he's ever asked for anything. I mean, yeah. Think back to chapter three when he was barely even speaking. I mean, right. How much work was there for this character to come from A to Z? I mean, it's just it's just a tremendous amount. <laughs> a to Z. Of, <laughs> you like how I did that? That's nice. And it was just such a tremendous amount of work. Just it took him forty chapters to say it, and then you know juxtaposed. And even when he died, it just was so few words. But there's something so endearing about that. It's like, go Harry, you know. Yeah, yeah like yes. compare that to you yeah. know, you know, the next scene has you know Hermione wearing you know probably naked wearing Ron's bathrobe, and you're like, okay, these guys have gone a little bit farther than Harry and Ginny have so far. But you know, it's just like, you know, the the, the, the love is probably equally pure. It's just some people just you know have an easier time with it than obviously others. And you know, for Harry to go through everything he's done, it took him literally like a full year to you know work himself off. You know, from Ginny first said it. You know, I love you, Harry, in the, in, in the prologue, you know, back in July. And now, you know, Harry's saying, it, you know, the following, you know, May or whatever month it is, April. And it just, it took him so long just to get there. And he had to put her through, you know, so much. Of, you it's know, so worth to, it, though. I do have to say, I'm going to try. You are the source of my Patronus on my girlfriend. I'm going to let you all know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I did yell to tell us that story. It's like you I are the wind beneath my wings. You are the source of my Patronus. <laughs> like, uh, I was listening to that in my car. I, I listened to after the end of my car, and I actually almost drove into a gas station. Like, like actually hit the gas station. Like, with my <laughs> like what? It's great. It's brilliant. But um, that's ridiculous. You're ridiculous, Brian. Oh my god! I just blew up Salem, Massachusetts. But um, I think being ridiculous is lovely. Thank you very much, Jen. I, I appreciate that greatly. <laughs> I remember the one thing as I was reading this because they transitioned from the admission, uh, Harry finally saying the words uh, to Ginny that she's been wanting to hear. They, I don't know. Did anybody else feel that they kind of transitioned into the whole? Draco Malfoy conversation, maybe a little too soon. I I guess I kind of was hoping that maybe they would have a little bit of time to, to just revel in that moment, you know, but, but it seemed as though that they transitioned over into the, what I call the WWDD part of the conversation, the, what would Dumbledore do? Yeah. Um, part of the conversation. It's, it, it seemed like, because, you know, essentially he, he makes the admission to her. She says it back to him. And then, uh, they, almost immediately start talking about, well, I've got to go back to work now. And, um, do you have to? And, and well, what about Draco? And it just seemed like I was kind of hoping maybe they could have like a, maybe they could just lie down together and, and hold each other for, for a few hours. And then we'll talk about the other stuff later. I just told you that I loved you for God's sake. Let's, let's focus on that. Back to work. I don't know, did anybody else, did anybody <laughs> yeah, else feel the um, same way? I think that, well, I think the way they wrote it, you know, did kind of make sense. You know, now that she realizes that their love is pure and, you know, she has that wonderful moment where she realizes that she can actually feel their love as an aura and it's just this great moment. So now she wants to protect him. So how does she protect him? Say what I know. Well, I can't say what I know because Draco and the contracts with all does, 
kind of work together. But there are some odd transitional moments. Like there's, I think Jen talked about this on the uh, on the forum. There's the scene where you know Ginny and Hermione are talking, you know, about you know Harry testing people, and all of a sudden Ginny's like, "I need to go and talk to Harry," and just kind of walks out. And I don't actually remember her going to talk to Harry. I just remember her kind of walking out, like it's almost like yeah. a missing scene. Like it just seemed a little <laughs> like, "No, you Let's- didn't." Let's throw this scene together real quick, and let's get to the good stuff. Yeah, and you don't see Jenny for three weeks. I'm like, did she talk to Harry? Like, uh, she seemed like she was marching out there to talk to Harry. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so the, I, 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 I thought it kind of worked well, but I do get what you're saying. You kind of wish that they could shut the world down for the day. And just... I really liked that they didn't have sex here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I have, I know it's like funny. I hate to tell you, like especially after the ED talk we had earlier, I don't think Harry could handle it at this point. Like he could barely say no. hello, even though having like a panic attack. No, like. but you know, so many people, so many fics are like, oh, we're together, sex, mm-hmm. and yeah. they don't. Yeah. I mean, yes, they have they, sex. They don't, they don't go close to this, yeah. but it's not. I love you, sex, and yeah. I liked that it wasn't synonymous with one another, actually. They wrote it yeah, in a real way to me. Yeah. Or more I, of a I think, way. I, I, you know, I keep coming back to this baby author thing, but I really think it's a good analogy. I think, you know, when you are younger, when you're in that younger mindset, you know, sometimes sex is synonymous with love. And it's not, you know, you get, as you kind of yeah, get. I think it's a young mentality towards romance. Right, right. Like, somebody's going to fall in love with me, and, you know, the second he he realizes he's in love with me, then the pants are coming down. And, you know, and I think after you've read a certain number of smut fics like that, it just makes you roll your eyes. Like, <laughs> it's not, you know, like like maybe losing virginity isn't a huge deal, and I don't know anybody that took it very lightly, you know? Right. I don't know. Yeah, Melinda, I think you actually even, I think it's in Power of Emotion, don't you even have, like, a like an author's note, like, Harry and Ginny will not be having sex. Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, some point. Well, are- you, you get, like I found at that at that point, a lot of reviews, well, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? So I finally, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not. That was probably me. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Go back and look. Make sure. Yeah, I know. So, I, I just stumbled upon the Jan, thing. I know none Jan, of this. I've never Jan. asked. And I'm just like looking. I'm like, you know, big liars. They are not going to have sex. I'm like, well, thanks for giving away the ending. I'm like, well, no, I, I think, yeah, I think you, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, if, if, if something like that happens naturally in the progression of a story, then I have no problem with it whatsoever. But for anybody who's going after fanfic looking for that, then I think that it can be very, very cheap. You know, and and I think you're right. It was it was a great moment that uh, that, that that it didn't happen here because yes. Harry was 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 practically falling apart just saying the words that he said. I mean, how can you expect anything after that? He, he just it was such a such a great moment there that yeah, I think it it would have been inappropriate at that point to to move into into that area. So I I think I think you're right. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, there's the whole I, ED thing. Everyone keeps skipping over that. I'm not sure why. That's true. Oh, the what? The uh, erectile dysfunction thing. argument. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Harry. Oh, let's just let's just move on. I you know Joe is probably gonna. Happened. Joe wants to kill him. Everything's bad. He has ED. He probably smells. Oh my god, poor kid. Jeez, <laughs> they don't bathe. I don't see the babe. He hasn't peed in seven so- years. <laughs> <laughs> the one time he went to okay. the bathroom in seven years, he almost got killed by a mountain troll. He never went back. It was terrible. 
goes into he the bed. by a ghost. He takes a shower. The ghost is trying to stare at them. It's, oh, it's terrible. It's awful. Poor kid. Oh, oh. Poor Myrtle, but she's got a good deal there, though. Like, if you think about it. Myrtle's got a deal. She's 40. <laughs> I liked... I liked Except for the fact that she's dead. But yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Can't do anything about it, but... She was distraught. I was distraught. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was British. Okay. Um, I liked the end of this scene where, where when Jenny, when Harry leaves, that Jenny doesn't cry because I was about weeping about how absolutely perfect it was, you know, because last time she cried that the well, last time that, they the last left. Time, yeah. And, and, and also the dream that she has, I think that's really great because she, she has these nightmares and, you know, it seemed to me like she was having this nightmare, this, this Tom Riddle nightmare that was just haunting her mind and there was nothing that could really stop it. And then after Harry admits to her that he does love her, when she falls back to sleep, she doesn't have the nightmare. She has a dream of lying on a, on, on a beach and looking up into the sky and seeing Harry on a dragon above her. So it was just like finally knowing the knowledge that, that he does love her made all those other dark thoughts just go away. And I, do, I just love yes. that. Well, it's like before, when you look at the characters, I mean, you, you always have... Uh, y- you always have that situation where, you know, they're together, but when are they going to leave? Harry's always afraid Jenny's going to leave. Jenny's always afraid Harry's going to leave. So whenever he puts her to bed, this is it. God knows when we'll get this back. This is the first time she realizes Harry's here to stay. He's never leaving me. I'm never leaving him. So when right. he leaves, she follows him in her dreams. I just thought that was a really perfect. It is perfect. perfect it's moment. perfect. Perfect. Oh, very perfection. Yay. All right. I think we all agree it's perfect. It is perfect. Hold on, wait, Melinda. Melinda? Melinda? <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. It was right, perfect. Perfect. All right, Melinda's yes, we have Melinda's like, I hate Anime. after the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that I, I referred to this whole chapter as after I finally read it was the payoff chapter, because we do get a lot of payoff in this chapter, uh, not the least of which is the final scene with Ron and Hermione. Um, the, the, the title of the chapter was Ron's Secret, and I, I think all of us uh, expected v- to know exactly what Ron's secret was. But that's where uh, A and Z sort of one-upped us. They added a second secret uh, into the, the mix there that, we, uh, that I know I didn't see coming at all. Um, but, it, I mean, it wasn't a shock to me when I, when I found out what it was. But I didn't see it coming, so it still hit me as, as, a, as I'm sure as much as it did Hermione in the scene. Um, yeah. Uh, Hermione is sort of reveling in the fact that her parents are awake. I mean, obviously, there's still a long way to go. I mean, they're, they're not healed by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but they're, they are awake. And she's just sort of reveling in that. And then Ron comes to her and, uh, well, first of all, he throws her a, a cannon shirt because she's just come out of the shower. He throws her a shirt and it's one of his cannon shirts. And at the time, you don't think much about it. But she goes ahead and puts it on because, you know, okay. He, he tells her, I think, you know, your clothes are dirty. Just put this on. And she says, okay, puts on the canvas shirt. And then he gives her an address, a little piece of paper with an address on it, and tells her, I want you to apparate here. And she looks at it and immediately recognizes it as the address of her parents' house. And she hasn't been there in two years. Uh, she has absolutely no desire to go there again because of the, just the horror of the memory of seeing it the last time. Because when she was there, obviously, it was immediately after her parents had been attacked and the walls were scorched, and the, the, the furniture was, was turned over, and everything was just a disaster. 
And she even said the smell, I think, the smell of the house was just, just it smelled like death. It was just awful to her. And all of a sudden, here's Ron telling her, go here. And she's saying, I, you know, why would I want to do that? I, I, I can't imagine. I, I mean, my parents just woke up. Why would I want to go back here? And he just looks her in the eye and says, trust me. And then, and then disappears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we talked about this earlier. This is one of those moments where we know that Ron and Hermione implicitly trust each other. And it's yes. evidenced by the fact that Hermione <laughs> does it. She doesn't, she doesn't want to. She, but she goes to, she goes to the house. And, uh, of course we, we in discover the shirt. that, that, and, and in the shirt, yes, in the shirt, uh, she goes to the house and we discover that, uh, really, I think what Ron's secret is, as far as what they meant by the title was not the proposal, but it was the fact that he had spent the last, you know, year practically of his life, uh, fixing up the, fixing up the house. And he, he restored it basically back to the way that it was before any of those things happened. He fixed the, the furniture. He found her Hogwarts letter, which I think had had, didn't they scrawl mud blood across it? Yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, he fixed it and, and re put it back on the wall. Um, the scorch marks were gone. Everything was basically the way that she remembered it. And, and it just, it was, it was so moving to watch her go from room to room in his house. And, and, and as she's walking to the room, she's thinking, this is where it happened. There, there are scorch marks on the walls. The, the, the China closet is destroyed, whatever. And she walks in and it's perfect. Well, he's just been doing this all along. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's what, uh, that, that makes it even more moving is because she asks him, how long have you been doing this? And he says, since my first paycheck. And, uh, Ryan, I think you were the one who originally brought this up that, it shows this amazing faith that had Ron has in her. Yeah. Because he knew you know, he knew that she was gonna bring her parents back. Without any real evidence uh that that things were gonna get better for her parents, he believed in her. He knew that when she put her mind to something, she was going to do it, and that's why he did this. He he knew that house would be used again. And that's why he did it. And I just thought that was great. Uh I just had a <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. Um I just had a a flashback to Aladdin when I was reading this. Do you remember there's a scene where Jasmine is on the balcony and Aladdin <laughs> is on his carpet, his magic carpet, and he says, do you trust me? And she's like, well, yeah. And she steps the off. You're going to be here. I can show you the world. But it's, you know, kind of the same. Shimmering it's like, I was like, oh, I've been, where have I read this? Where have I seen this before? And then the other day I was watching Aladdin. I was like, oh, my God, it's after the end. After the end is Aladdin. Aladdin is after the end. It was really funny. And these people make fun of me for bringing up Star Trek. <laughs> Aladdin is awesome. <laughs> But so Star no, Trek, I, so yeah. And here's the, and this yeah. is the thing too. This is the thing too. You have this perfect, okay, Harry and Ginny, you know Hermione and Ron. You have these perfect moments with these characters. You know, Ginny implicitly trusts Harry enough that she can use, she can you know take part in Expecto Sacrificum and save him and save you know the, the Wizarding World from Voldemort. You know, Hermione trusts Ron so implicitly that she will walk back into this you know place that used to be her sanctuary and now is her personal hell. And he essentially healed her. He, you know, I never even thought the Grangers would want to go back to the house, even if it was completely repaired, because, you know, just what happened there, they'd want to go somewhere else. But, you know, he, he, I get what they were doing, Ainsley, you know, they, they, he, 
he took this, you know, completely, you know, devastating part of her life and fixed it. And, you know, as with everything else, you know, Ron is the person that, you know, is Hermione's source of inspiration. You know, she can't think without him, you know, capital T. You know, she can't, you know, solve problems without him. They, they just work together. So you have these two couples that, you know, just depend on each other so much. And despite, you know, the faith and the love, I love the fact that Ginny implicitly trusts Harry, but just checks to make sure the underwear is still there. And, you know, Ron and Hermione, they trust each other so well, and she would walk into, you know, her, her destroyed house where her parents were tortured for Ron, and yet he, he is so trusting he is worthy of that you know faith that she puts into him but he also made sure she was in the Shelley Cannon's you know shirt just because he always wanted her to remember that when he proposes it's yes. so Ron it's so yeah he, he brings it back to being playful and I love it yeah. when, when, after after he asked it's her and I, I also like moment. I also I'm just gonna say I like the fact that uh, he he takes her to this house and he kind of bumbles through the proposal you know, he doesn't quite know, you know, he, he thought about fixing the house and he thought about everything that had to, to, to go into that. And the proposal itself, he kind of, well, I'm, I'm no good without you. I, I need you. I mean, we should take care of each other. You know, he, he, he bumbles through it a little bit, which is, which is a very Ron thing to do because it was almost like he was thinking more about telling her at the end because he knew she was going to say yes. And it was more, more like he was thinking about, now I get to tell her about the shirt. <laughs> and, and, he, and he reveled in that. Because when he said that, that was clear as a bell. It was like you a know? Harry he, proposal he almost. It was kind of like, you know, Harry's lather, like, hi, Ginny, how are you? I am fine. How is thinking? Like, it's kind of like, you know, he's like, blah, 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 and like, kind of like throws the ring at her. Oh, <laughs> it's so Ron. It's so Ron. Could you picture Can Harry, anybody else picture Harry proposing to Ginny? Like, oh my god! Good like, lord! Took him, yeah. He just <laughs> took thrust the ring at her and like stare <laughs> at the ground. Well, yeah, it took him here. nine months to say I love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it reminds me of this TV show that was on like 15 years ago. I think it was called like Nurses or whatever. And there was this nurse who who wanted to walk up to this other ner- male nurse, wanted to walk up to the female nurse, and he had this beautiful line of poetry he was going to say, asking her out, and basically all he got out was feel me, and got like arrested, it was a awful thing. So <laughs> it just reminds me of that. It's just like... Harry. Harry's proposal would be something like Harrison Ford. She would go, I love you, and he'd go, I know, and like, near to the ring. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I just loved uh, Hermione's reaction. She just screamed his name at him, and I, I mean... I, there's so many visuals in this story that are just so bright in my mind. I mean, we're getting up to a chapter here in a few few chapters that is probably visually, I think, the most well-written chapter. But the visual of Hermione standing there in a cannon shirt screaming at Ron and then, say, and then saying she knew she'd have to spend the rest of his life trying to choose between whether to kiss him, laugh, or hit him. I think were the three options, weren't they? And I think that yes. was great, though. It describes marriage perfectly. I was going to say, that's what my girlfriend goes through every day. Like, yeah. Can I just say my favorite line here? Jenny, you can say whatever you want. Oh, thank you, dear. No um, I love how when her when Ron is trying to, to get it out and Hermione just keeps going. This was very much um, James and my uh, proposal because I was just, you know, are you okay? What's co- what? What? Are you, blah blah blah. Talk, you know, because I never shut up. But um, he was going. Um, he goes, "Will you just give me a minute?" And she finally is like, "Yes." And he goes, "You drive me insane. You have for ever." <laughs> and I love that he proposes with such rawness. 
I love that. I love, I don't know. There's something about the love, hate, pride and prejudice, Jane Austen, um, ness of the scene of how he is just, um, did y'all like how I said ness as a word? Yes. Um, and, um, <laughs> Don't, but don't you agree? Like, it's such a Mr. Darcy. Like, he's like saying all these, you know, you're, you're annoying and blah, 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 blah. But I love you. I can't, I loved it. I loved it. Yes. Yes. Very, it does very put me, put me very much in mind of, uh, Colin first in the BBC version of, of oh, uh, sigh in the wet white oh shirt. <laughs> That white okay, shirt. Phil and I oh. are kind of looking at each other like, how was your day? Melinda, do you know? How about the Red Sox? Melinda, do you know what we're talking about? Uh, Have you ever seen it? No, I, I haven't. <laughs> when you have like six hours just lying around. It's a must. Your manliness, you must watch it. It's Colin amazing. Firth's Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice. Yes. Not, Prejudice. not with okay. a T. I'll have to. I haven't seen it, but I'll have to. I know. I was going to talk about that. The 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 other thing that I really loved was that he he even says it after he gives her the ring. She looks at it and she doesn't quite know what it is right away, um, and then realizes that it's got a very tiny, tiny little hourglass inside it. Uh, that when she tips her hand back and forth, the 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 sand inside the hourglass goes back and forth, and. Uh, he he says to her, "Well, there were other ones. There there were diamonds, and 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 if you'd like, we can go back and get one of those." And she tells him, "No, this is this is perfect. I've never I've never seen anything so pretty." And I think it was great because he yeah instead of getting her the traditional diamond, it's just you know their their relationship has been so non traditional in so many ways. Yeah, I'll say I've said before and I'll say it again. You know, Ron almost bought you know Hermione. You know, Parvati's jewelry, and Parvati had to like yell with a bullhorn. Hermione would never wear these. So I love the thought of the missing moment with with Parvati helping pick out the engagement ring. Like she will never wear that one. She will never. Ooh, this one screams Hermione. Like I, I just thought that'd be great. <laughs> and then Ron uh, does the sexy cursing. Oh, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I read this chapter this week, and I thought of you when he did it. I was like, she's gonna bring that up in the podcast. I- I want to bet with myself. I owe myself five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. You know, I want to get to the ring, though, because this is one of my um, pet peeves in fan fiction, um, just because it is. <laughs> because it appears so often in romance novels, too. And when something appears very often in romance novels, it appears very often in fan fiction, that kind of makes me wince a little bit. It's the fact, you know, that Ron gets exactly the right ring. Like, when he's demonstrated no ability to give the right gifts oh, ever. Yeah. But he, he suddenly is able to to define what would be the right ring for Hermione, you know. And then to be able to find that ring, you know, just well, wandering around. Well, really do it. him having it wrong. I mean, after Harry with the birthday hat, somebody had to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> I still think yeah. Parvati was there. <laughs> It's a pretty big moment, so I think they, I think they decided they're well. We'll go ahead. We'll let him get this one right, you know, because this, this is something she's yeah. gonna be wearing forever. Let's let's go ahead and get it right. I just think it's so funny because I bring up this chapter so often, but Harry's birthday, like everybody got it really, really, really right, and you would think that he would like take, you know, 
advice from his own birthdays and like just hand out some of those and that would be fine. <laughs> Harry gives Ginny the like the photo album for like her birthday. Happy birthday. I thought I heard it's a wonderful I am gift. here. Oh, that would have been a nice <laughs> like the same album. Like just like give it back to her. Scratches out Harry's name and writes Ginny. <laughs> that would have been a really nice gesture. I think I would have liked to see return of that album. I think that would have been a really cheap gesture. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been story. a very hairy thing. I think Jenny would have been a little insulted by that. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. We don't, we don't have enough problems in this fic with miscommunication. Yeah. I mean, come on. But I love his letters, so I can't complain. Yeah. I'm going to vote for Rom is out of money because he fixed the Granger house, so that was the only ring he could afford. And it just happened to be the right one. <laughs> I just like it because and, I know with my husband of two years of marriage, I'm already writing lists for him. Just get this, honey. Honey, do. <laughs> Danielle sent me to the supermarket one night to buy 10 things. I got every one wrong. I had to go back. Like, <laughs> she was making like a surprise birthday gift. You know, she's making a surprise birthday dinner for my mother um, a couple of years ago. And like, I bought chicken breast instead of chicken thigh. And I brought the wrong, you know oil or whatever and i'm just like like sh- like shoulders slumped you know like hunchback of notre dame i go back up the door of the supermarket so like <laughs> I, I i i do feel poor like, man i do feel with men everywhere i we try poor so silly men but actually <laughs> my my so wife hard. and i are the exact opposite uh when, when really? i go to the supermarket i'm the one who's yeah i'm the one who stands there and looks at the the wheat bread versus the whole wheat bread versus the cracked wheat bread and she's the one who grabs bread and throws it in the uh in the, in the basket. Oh, I'll go shopping with you any day. <laughs> well, I, was so, I was so excited the other day because Danielle needed my help picking out like a cable for her TV. I'm like, yes, I know one. <laughs> the black one. I got one. this one right. Yeah. See, we get what we get it right every once in a while, and Ron got it right. Yes, so. he did. Yes, he did. Cut him some slack. And and I also have to say, uh, as we're wrapping up this last chapter, that uh, we talked about the the last line thing. That uh, A and Z are so good at in, in all these chapters, and I gotta, I gotta go with top three best last lines in the whole story. Come, come, one of the top three comes in this chapter. Just that last little bit is so good, and 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 there, there's so many chapters that end like when we talked about chapter 39 ending, and how desperately you wanted to get to chapter 40 right away. Chapter 39 or chapter 40 ended, and. I was left with, you know, as Jen would say, just the sigh moment, you know, and, and kind of felt like, you know what, it's okay. I can wait a little while. This, you know, you gave you, you this is payoff. And, and uh, obviously I didn't want the story to end right then or anything, but I felt like I got, I got some payoff here. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to bug them so much on the, on the, on the forum to, to make, to get the next chapter out really quickly. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to sit back and just sort of revel in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I remember feeling that way, Phil. Like, yeah. almost like maybe the fit could have, no, you're not yeah. ended there, but they could have no, taken I, a sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I didn't want to say it, but but there's a little part of me that could have thought, you know, if if that was it, if it was over, I'd be okay with it. You know, what I mean, wouldn't wouldn't be great, yeah. but I'd be okay with it. And uh, I just yeah. think it's it's how well they 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 end chapters just very well. They really set up the the next part of the story very well and wrap up what you're what you're reading and just makes you feel really yeah. warm and fuzzy inside. They it's do all, have a sigh. Gift. It's all about the warm and fuzzies. And basically if Jen saying sigh, they did something right. <laughs> oh, sigh at the end of this one. All right. 
so I think that's about it for tonight. We gotta get Melinda to bed, or else she's gonna be falling asleep during her kids' baseball game tomorrow, and there's gonna be many questions to be asked. Melinda, sleepy mom. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, Melinda's like sleeping in her sleeping bag, like in the middle of the field, and no one can figure out why. Well, Melinda, thank you so much for uh, jumping in here with us tonight. Um, oh, thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun. Th- well, it's not a problem. Um, and I know this is exactly the way the people of Pottercast do it, too. So I'm sure you know where you- you've been through this all before. You're a pro with this. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and um, again, we're going to be covering uh, Melinda's Fic, the seventh Horcrux, uh, next, uh, probably in about two or three weeks. We're going to jump on that. So if anyone wants to get a, um, a start on that, uh, Melinda, you actually have a website. It's uh, melindaleo.com. Mm hmm. So you can uh, go to melindaleo.com and get a start on our next uh, our next fic, The Seventh Horcrux. If there is anything in this episode you'd like to respond to, um, you can email us at staff at polarficweekly.com or call 781-352-0643. That's 781-352-0643. We are going to be interviewing Arabella and Jania in about two weeks. So if you have any thoughts, comments, uh, thank yous, Whatever, send them in. Call the voicemail. Email us voicemail documents. Email Jen directly. I'm sure she'll remember them all and just read them to them on the on the <laughs> yes, podcast themselves. Yes, Jen at Potterfic Weekly. <laughs> dot com. <laughs> dot com. <laughs> when Jen's singing, it's time for us to go home. <laughs> so blue that's, moon. Oh, okay, God. sorry. All right. And speaking of blue moon, welcome to the blooper reel, everybody. Uh, have a good night, everyone. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night. Melinda, say good night. Good night. I said it. <laughs> I didn't hear you yeah. say it. Everyone said it. All right. I love you. Hi, Nee. Hi, Dan Express. Hi, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. I'm hearing oh, stuttering from... All right. I think it's Chi. Chi. Everyone, uh, don't talk, but Chi, say something. Ladies and gentlemen, hobo, gentlemen, hobo, tramp, cross mosquitoes, and bow-legged ants, I come here before you to sit down beside you to tell you a story I know nothing about. One bright, bright morning in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, two dead boys got up to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, drew their swords, and shot each other. The deaf policeman heard this noise, came running, and killed the two dead boys. If you don't believe this lie is true, ask the blind man. He saw it too. Check, check, check. Wait, wait, Chi, wait. It's so much better just because certain words are echoed. Yeah. And it sounded extremely artistic. I was just saying, I was expecting like testing, testing, one, two, three, but you know, whatever. Hey, I even skipped the part that wasn't very appropriate, so kudos to me. All right. Oh, whatever. That would have been my favorite part, Dirt. All right, <laughs> All right let's just do a sound check. Uh, Phil, say something. They are the faction. Oh, conspiracies. Shame's old show that laden draw by night while evils are most free. Seek none conspiracy. Hide it in smiles and affability. For if there are paths I need to send what's on, not Erebus itself could hide thee from prevention. All right, Jen, Jen, can you say something? Oh, dear God. (laughs) Jen's all set. She say something again to make sure you're not stuttering. Uh, Hi. All right, let me just do a quick check. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it as to sit down or tea, blah, blah, blah. It was a hobbit hole. Okay, I'm fine. And the green grass grew all around, all around. And the green green grass grew all around. Okay, I think we're ready to go. (laughs) Okay. Was that the Bible? (laughs) That was the hobbit. 
Oh, I thought it was. I was you like, thought I the Bible the opened with there was a white Uzi hole with a hobbit living in? <laughs> I was like, oh, no. that must have been a chapter that's not in my Bible. I don't know. Yeah, chapter <laughs> seven. That's a, that's chapter seven, yeah, Noah's Ark. Vulcan <laughs> <Vulcan> 316. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, it's in the Apocrypha. It's in the book of Frodo. And we have a special uh, guest tonight. We have um, Melinda Leo with us, the author of our second Fic Weekly Fic, uh, The Seventh Horcrux, as well as the author of the Power of Emotion series. Uh-oh. Hello? Yeah? Yeah, what's what's wrong? <clears throat> Jen, you there? Okay, Jen. Hello? Jen, you there? Jen? What happened? Nothing happened. <laughs> you just screamed, oh, I no. Hear you. I just I stopped hearing you all. Can you hear us now? Yes. Okay. What did did, I, did you do something? No, nothing happened. You just screamed, oh, no, in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> I didn't mean to say. <laughs> I am sorry. I lost y'all. I didn't know. I okay. was like, great. What? Okay. 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 Yeah, Melinda, I apologize. Our, that, that's completely fine. Our recordings are like five hours long and our podcasts are like two, so there's a reason for that. <laughs> In the middle of sentences, we all just scream, help! All right. <laughs> I'm being attacked by a tarantula. Oh, God. Okay. Episode seven, listen now. Okay. It's not funny. All right. With uh, Melinda and Phil, who weren't here at the time. Um, we were talking about, um, you know, when you go through... Oh, sorry. Um... Sorry, just making sure we got the noise. That's down. not me. I know that was Melinda. I got the thing here. I was making noise. <laughs> Sorry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like looking at my sound monitor. Who is breathing? It's usually me, and I'm just always so thrilled to point out when it's not. <laughs> she she's off eating Chinese food right now, so I know it's not she. She can hear us, but we can't hear her. I can hear her fine. Okay, yeah, I've got you. you back now. Okay. Can okay. everyone hear everybody else? Yeah. Sound check. Hello. One, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. All of a sudden, I could hear scratching, and that was it. The Hobbit, the Hobbit, the Hobbit, the Hobbit, the Hobbit. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com, or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643, and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length, or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called the Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potherfickweekly.com.